Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Comics Fondle podcast. My name is Andrew, and my blog is comicsfondle.com. And I'm Vernon, and I own and operate the wonderful shop Comics Gallery on the North Shore along Wilmette, Illinois. But this isn't just a, any other episode no, it's of not. Comics Fondle, is it, Andrew? This is our year-end uh, best of the year recap of 2017, our annual best of. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was a, overall it was a tough year in comics. Uh, uh, Marvel and DC usually don't place too high on our list, but uh, this year they were less spectacular than ever in many ways, and uh, that kind of overall brought brought sales down in the industry. But uh, we managed to find uh, what was the number on that as far as what honorable mentions and such. I forgot. Honorable mentions were around twenty eight, twenty nine. I think. Uh... 20, whatever, you know, 28, yeah, 29. Yeah, It'll be fine. That's good. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we and, and, I think we did good. Yeah, and there's, there's, there's a, like, there's that, and we, we narrowed down for the uh, final titles, but there's, there's a number of different reasons why comics make or do not make our uh, honorable mentions list or the best of the year for that matter. There's, it's a myriad of reasons, and, and, and probably most of it has to do with whether a comic is successful or not in its, uh, from beginning to end, whether it's a mini series or a single one shot or something like that, but there's other things that messes up, like maybe it comes out less frequently, or the artist changes halfway <laughs> in stride. He's got a different style entirely. Uh, there's a number of reasons, you know. I don't know. What do you think makes a good comic though that goes on our list every year? I think that looking at since I can see the list, people, isn't that great? It's great. It's great that I can I can see the future like this. Uh, what makes an honorable mention is just a you know a good comic. You know, not a perfect comic. I wouldn't even say our best of the years are perfect comics. Um, there might be a couple of, but uh, for honorable mention, you know, there's also it, it's the ambition of the creators, uh, how successful they are in realizing that ambition, how. The chemistry, uh, just yes, the chemistry between artist and uh, and writer and editor in some cases, and um, yeah, you know, it's just it's just a good comic, right? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that what what's weird about that is, is what we're it sounds like we're saying is, is that most comics aren't good. I'm not really actually willing to make that. <laughs> major of a pronouncement because I never would have read Captain Marvel if, you know, neo-Nazis hadn't gone after the writer. So I never would have known how freaking great that comic is, right? So I'm sure there's stuff we miss, but there are a lot what, of Nick comics. Spencer? I'm not, I'm not sorry. I not Nick you. Spencer. No, Captain Marvel, not Captain America. Oh, yeah. They yeah, got, yeah, the yeah. girl who wrote Captain America, yeah. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, not Nick Spencer. No. <laughs> Where the fuck would you retain Nick Spencer? Let's just let's just get the you know upset. I like my parrot cage with Nick Spencer comics. So yeah, honorable mention. It's ambition, success, chemistry, and you know how much fun the creators have. How um, you know the slippage where you know they. They're so in sync. The comic is going so smoothly. It the um, the synthesis, you know, creates its own 
gel to make it gross. So we're going to move on from slippage and gel. And like, why did <laughs> you, right. why did you leave this on me? Like, I don't know. I, yeah, I hate yeah. everything. Like, yeah, you're the, you're the, you're the one that likes it all. Well, anyway, uh, I will say that also, I'll just finish up with saying that, uh, it's not just the talent because there's a lot of failed comics that have very talented people yes. on them. It, it, it's the fact that they not only are they good and they show they're good, but they succeed. Like Andrew said, the chemistry and, and they succeed at this particular effort. So, well, let's get on with this list. Uh, they're in, I think published order. So no particular order in the fact that they came out in 2017 in this order somewhat. Don't yell at me if it isn't, but we'll start out with the, uh, mini series. Is that ether? Ether. Your yeah. uh, your your book. Oh, was that one of mine? Okay, that, well, that's I'm, totally one of yours. I mean, I know David Rubin does the art, but I, I could yeah, not and, do and Doctor Matt Strange. Um, Adam. Matt Kent writes it too, so yeah, he wrote it anyway. It was one of those odd, quirky little books that came out, five issue miniseries, I think. Lots of good story uh, with a, a guy who discovers another dimension, and his life gets changed as he goes to and from it, and brings parts of it back and forth with him. The it, it was just really well done. David Rubin is like the hardest working man in comics. Somebody said it was uh, Jeff Lemire, or, and I was like, well, he writes, and I don't argue he's wrote a lot, but David Rubin's been drawing, like I don't know, at least two comics a month or whatever, forever here. And Ether, even though it's a uh, miniseries, and I'm not sure if they're going to go any else with it, it's great uh, trade paperback from Dark Horse. Well worth your time. Now, Lake of Fire... The site, are you, did I, okay. Good. All right. Uh, Lake of Fire, I think you talked about last year because I read it this year in trade because you talked about it last year. So Lake of Fire. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Came out, the trade came out in January, I believe, and we are, uh, we're telling you to read it again because uh, you should. Yeah. It's a great Roger Corman-esque movie that, what is it, uh, Crusade, English Crusaders, uh, versus like aliens from outer space that crash land on Earth. And the plot doesn't go too much more than that. It follows a group of the Crusaders and how they're trying to survive and whatnot. And it was really successful. It was like a really good, successful B-comic. It kept moving. And um, it was that Nathan Fairborn wrote it and a gentleman named Matt Smith drew it. And they uh, work in really good sync with one another to make it a convincing thing. You know, when them aliens are fucking up them Crusaders, it's really terrific and horrible at the same time but uh i don't know it was like a good movie you know yeah i think that um and we'll we'll talk about it a little bit later i think but seeing the we're seeing good first collaborations in indie or image indie a lot earlier or a lot more often than we used to you know, we're not having to see an established writer find a new artist or an established artist find a new writer. These guys are doing their first or second series together, and they're really in sync. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 uh, that's getting to be more the norm than the exception. We used to you see like this occasionally happen, but now we see a lot more synergy. Know, it's synergy, Vern. Yeah, the synergy is there exactly, we're, and they were very successful. Yeah. They did a good job on Lake of Fire. All right. Let's see here. Next up, Slam for series. Okay, Slam was an unusual one by Boom that involved women's roller derby, um, a subject I found myself strangely attracted to while reading this. And the first miniseries that finished up in uh, 17, 
was done by, uh, let's see here, Pamela Ribon, Pamela Ribon, and artist Veronica Fish. And for four issues, this thing just rocked my world with its insane uh, stories of these women who have this spare time of roller derbying on the weekend in their personal lives. And, and it was really technically cool, too, because you learn a lot about roller derby, which is really nice. Uh, the first miniseries was good. Great stuff. Very Archie-esque. Maybe a little spicier than Archie. The second series, uh, slightly less successful. They replaced uh, Veronica Fish on the second series with uh, Marina Julia. And while her intentions are good, she has a much flowery, dare I say, girly style to the artwork. And the colorist has to pull the weight on the book quite a bit to keep it coherent. But uh, both of them are good. And if uh, you're looking for a good uh, roller derby series, high-octane women, Slam is the one. And I would say PG-rated, too, for all those of you at home. All right. So next up is Motor Crush. Um... Which I, this is the Cameron Stewart one, right? Yeah, and Babstar too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and Babstar. And I, I I don't still read it, but it's good. Is yeah, it still it's coming good. out? I, I catch up with about every other issue okay. or every, you know, once in a while. And uh, Cameron Stewart and Babstar do a credible job. It's probably just not the subject matter that you and I are intensely involved with. It's right. Like, like uh, what do you call that? girl Girl-friendly manga, but it's got like, an edge because they're hardcore motorcycle riders and their dad who runs the garage. He's kind of like pops racer and he's got a past. Right. You know, and, but uh, Cameron Stewart and Babstar bring a lot of uh, energy. And There's somebody and else. Stuff. You can't forget the other guy. They got a third. Cameron Stewart. Bre- oh, Brendan Fletcher. Yeah. Brendan Fletcher. Yes. And that's a fun one. I mean, it's not a perfect read, but I'd say it's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy reading it every once in a while. And uh, it's, it's very, very, it's like a hundred times better than manga. Well, I'm going to catch some <laughs> shit for that one, aren't I? All right. I oh, know, man, you got, here you, you go, Vern. All right, it's a Vern marathon early on. Telling you, man, you're going for this after this. Well, no, you're not. But anyway, <laughs> uh, one that finished up earlier in 2017 was actually a Marvel comic. Uh, David Walker and Sanford Green, one of my favorite comic book artists, because he has a real unique style. And he brings that, like, no matter what, Character Sanford Green draws, you know that he drew them, and they're still spot on. And Power Man and Iron Fist was a comic more from your era than mine, but they put these two back together, and it is really old school about them getting together and forming an agency to try to save this neighborhood in New York. And it was just uh, beautifully drawn by Green. I will call attention to an annual they did at the end of the run, which is outrageous. It involves like Pokemon cards. And Jessica Jones and her kid, and the and uh, what's his name, Damian Hellstrom, son of Satan, as they try to prevent the invasion of Earth. It's it's it was a great annual. So this series was really well done by Marvel, and it should have got more attention than it did. It, it, Sanford Green's artwork doesn't look like your normal Marvel book, and that's probably what hurt it because it sure was a great Power Man and Iron Fist comic. That's for sure. Anyway, Power Man and Iron Fist made my honorable mentions this year. Which you never <laughs> would have expected to say, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, you're, I'm embarrassed to say I read Marvel, so I don't, you know, I don't want anybody to know that. <laughs> All right. Now it's time. Oh, excuse me, everyone. Now it's time for Vern to uh, talk about 
Um, a book that I, oh my I, guess, I guess I'll just stay quiet during. I it. thought you were supposed to look at this look, list. I'm here. Not, I did look at it. I'm not talking about kill. I didn't read Killer Be Killed at all in 2017. Did yeah, I? We, we both ran out of patience with that book early, but he managed to get it back on track. And uh, the character, while I still don't find him sympathetic, I'm kind of like watching in horror as his life just falls to shit and it gets deeper and deeper in the morass. And it does get to the point where later on it doesn't really matter whether he's crazy or he's absolute, like, serious. And he so Brubaker got that out of the way. And uh, there's still some great Brubaker done in ones. There's a couple of those in there. One of them is involving his girlfriend. It's really good. I mentioned that on the podcast. Don't be looking at me that way, boy. But uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, again, it's not perfect. It makes honorable mentions. Uh, Fade Out made the best of the year when it came out, and it was that good. Killer Be Killed has some flaws, but, you know, Marvel and DC still can't put out a comic that's anywhere this good. Or this close to this good, I'll tell you that right now. All right, right. <clears throat> kill or be killed. A lot, of, a lot of people like it, even if you don't. Ugh. Okay, I read the first trade of Harrow County. I need to read some more of that. That's a good book. Vern's well, gonna yeah, talk right, about yeah, more. Yeah, t- tell us about why it's an honorable mention. Then, good, go for it. Why is it? Who is it? A Colin Bunn. Uh, Colin Bunn and Tyler Crook. Oh, Tyler Crook. Okay, so. I read this in January. I feel like you're giving me like a pop quiz and I didn't do my homework, Vern. So you don't have to talk for a little bit. Uh, Harrow County is like the haunted go. It's a ghost book, but Buns doesn't fall into his. I don't even know how to describe bad Cullen Bun because I run screaming from it ever since you know, the first job he had at DC or Marvel, where we Marvel, were like, I was going to say, just it was just the- like, what the fuck? This isn't Colin Bud. And you're just like, you know, running yeah. away. And said, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? Sinestro. Remember he wrote Sinestro. Yeah. That was terrible. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and it's, it's been hard to trust him again because I. Dude's got to get paid. There are a <laughs> lot of guys who get paid and it's not like that. Um, yeah, yeah. But. I didn't stick with Six Gun throughout. I just, at some point, decided I was going to go back to it once it was done. So I didn't have that positive Cullen Bun in my life. I just had all the negative out there. So going back to Harrow County, and of course he's doing, he brought Damned back, which we're going to talk about right. in a bit. Um, but going back to Harrow County, it was it was nice to see that he's found some sync with an artist besides um, Brian Hurt. Yes, it does. That helps a lot. Plus, he's Tyler Crook is a very co- talented color uh, watercolorist, I'll say. And I think um, the difference between um, Six Gun and Harrow County is Six Gun is like this big sweeping saga that goes among hundreds of different people yeah. in this grand story. And uh, Harrow County is a very intimate story among a young girl, a witch, and she gets involved with ghosts and her history and this land and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, it works. It works well. And if I had to give it one flaw, and I don't know if it's a flaw, it's just that when it's spooky stuff, it doesn't go that far into the nastiness, I guess. I don't know. Spoiled by Ellen Moore and Providence, I don't know. That's scary. Um, 
you, you, everyone should see my expression right now where I'm just, I'm very worried about Vern all of a sudden. Like, yeah, yeah, well, well, he's going to be like, I got to go back and read some of the Escape of the Living Dead by, or no, Night of, whatever Avatar's Night of the Living Dead comics were, remember those? Was that it, Romero? No, it was the other guy who got the other half of the name. The Living Dead. Yes, that's what it is. Oh, Romero man. got... No, shit. Night of... Oh, I don't know. They, they fucking split the tight trademark somehow. But Avatar had all those horror books. That's where Reap started, you know, doing all the blood and guts. Like, Yeah, yeah. You're going to go back and read... Okay, this is a terrible joke. Um, well, yeah. Anyway, well, don't let, anyway. don't, well, don't let that destroy you from reading Harrow County. It's it's pretty good. It's, it's pretty dark. Like, people die, and some people die some pretty horrendous deaths, so you wouldn't want to give it to a kid right off the bat. But an older kid would probably get into it, don't you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. I know we read it and we enjoyed it. Yeah, and I, I think it's followed through nicely. Oh, man, here's hey, one I'm having a hard... Back to that idea. The idea of... You know, actually, us us thinking about this kind of thing. Uh, the books that are good for the older kid, like to get them interested in this kind of thing. Harrow County's a good one. It is, like, yeah. That's like a good. It's a good gift book. Like you give somebody that as a gift. You're, it's a good gift book. Right. I mean, it's it's a little edgier maybe than Harry Potter. You know, but not that edgy. But yeah, but not blood and guts heavier. And I found the female character much more sympathetic than Harry Potter ever was. You know, here's our next series that finished up in 017, early Dead Inside. Dead Inside? Uh, John Arcudi, remember that? That's right, John Arcudi. And, and who Tony? Tony, Tony for yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, poor We're Tony. We're bastards, I'm sorry. But, yeah, yeah, we can't pronounce his name. We're we hopeless. Get, the guy who did the, uh, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the real one earlier yeah. with, uh, was that, well, who the fuck was Rucka, that with? The Rucka, Rucka one. Rucka, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The beautiful art. And it's just crazy. Um, and, and very expressionistic. Like, he's willing to bend reality to make yeah. a, to make a, a, a viewpoint, like a, a, a tangible visual viewpoint. Has he done anything since then? You know, I, I suspect the guy's foreign or something, but that's the only two stories I've ever seen by him that I remember anyway. But, but the Dead Inside was a creepy one about this, uh, police detective type person who was trying to solve murder in a prison, right? A woman? Yeah, and so there was, you know, constant danger. Uh, not really echoes of Whiteout in terms of, like, her iso- But they're similar. She was isolated. Everybody was against her. Right. She was more of a sympathetic character. I think you could identify more with her than you could, like, what's her name up in the uh, Antarctic yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But uh, it was a it was a pretty successful series about her and trying to solve this murder and a possible uh, riot at jail between gangs and the weird warden and all that kind of stuff. And it was all in this, like, surreal expressionist mode that was yeah. very braced in, in reality but took a lot of liberties and it just added edge to it. You know what I mean? You know- John Arcudi is a guy who's been around for however long, 30. Probably as long as you've been reading comics. As long as I've been reading comics. Well, maybe a couple of years. I don't know when he – all I know is he started with Dark Horse. I don't know what he did if he did anything before that. Yeah. Remember a few years ago when he did that uh, – he did a series because I read all the Dark Horse Presents, and I got to dread John Arcudi's name. But when <laughs> 
Back but, in the early days of Arcudi. Well, when he when he hits, you know, when it's good, when he syncs with the artist, because yeah. there's the guy that they did the um, the realistic crime comics. Remember that? And then one of them, there was a series a few years ago. It was the guy who looks like that actor Rondo Hatton or whatever his name is, huh. uh, with the facial deformity. They did a book anyway. The Dark Horse Presents that I was based on was great. Like, yeah. so good. I'm like, no, nah, this isn't Jed Arcoot. Homicide. That was a terrible well, comic. Yeah, anyway, yeah. so I, I went into Dead Inside very skeptical. And it won me over because even with, I remember there were a couple problems. And the prison riot thing is just, it's very unpleasant. Like, it is right. an unpleasant story visually visually yeah like yeah. where it goes like into the psychologies of the characters and it wasn't pretty and it, yeah. it wasn't but pretty you know what they tried it and they worked. did it and it, you know and, they did it you're right the chemistry is there there it's convincing the lead protagonist is uh, really sympathetic and you enjoy her and you wonder what's going to happen to her and all that stuff. So, yeah, there was a weird one. If you like noirish type stuff, the uh, Dead Inside miniseries, I don't even know if it was collected in the trade paperback. Oh, I assume it was, yeah. but it might be gone by now. Anyway, we're going to go another Inside Noir book. Remember this one? Now, Kill you might help inside. me with that. Yeah, no, who, who is responsible? IDW did this, but who is the, there was uh, Devin Farachi and Vic... Malhotra, I assume these guys are foreign, but I don't know. No. They did the adaption. Devin Farachi's the blogger is a sex offender. He's a sexual oh. predator. You were anyway. Right. <laughs> but the killer it's, killer a, it's a good adaptation of uh, Thompson, I think. It's a Jim uh, Thompson novel. Jim Thompson's, yeah, yeah. That was a pretty crazy novel. I, I didn't even think somebody, when I read that, I go, wow, somebody actually published this in the 50s yeah. or something. That's pretty heavy shit. The publisher was really pushing the buttons there a little bit. Because it no. was, uh, was it four or five issues about a serial killer, right? Yeah. Five issues, cop turned serial, cop, serial killer cop, yeah. And it had that unusual feel with Mikhail Malhuda's artwork. It had an almost dark animated feel to it, yeah. like a hard barbaric cartoon gone wrong at night at midnight or something, you know. Yeah. But it was uh, it was effective, though. And yeah. there were pieces of it that went on. Like when he was murdering those women and stuff, that was pretty scary shit. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy is just a reprehensible animal, you know. But not too far. I don't know. It was another one of those successful series. And I think it's just enough niche-ridden that it wouldn't make the best of the year, but it doesn't hurt it in its own right. And if you like noirish killer yeah. stories, that's good stuff, man. Yeah. All right. Well, this one could be yours because you're a big you're a big reader of this one too, aren't Copperhead. you? Copperhead. Copperhead. A full year of Copperhead, I think. Almost. It's been. There's been yeah, a lot maybe this well, year. at least eight issues, eight or nine issues. I'm thinking. Yeah. Sadly, uh, Copperhead, I think, um, could be the reason it's on honorable mentions and not best of is because the original artist is gone, and yes. the replacement is getting worse. Actually, yeah, yeah, that's true. The latest Drew Moss, <laughs> it's, it's Jay Farber and Drew Moss's book right now. Yeah, and Drew Moss took over after the last arc before this one, and uh, 
you know, he's adequate, but now he's under deadline doom, and there's just not enough there in the yeah. new stuff to keep me going. I think, I think after they finish this arc, that maybe that should be it. You know, I'm thinking if you, unless she, unless Jay gets a better artist, yeah, you know, and, and I think that it. So it had the book started with a great female lead, right? Right. Okay, let's just let's just say. Oh, I don't know. What if they make Copperhead into a fucking movie? Emily Blunt's the lead. You have a giant CGI dog (laughs) monster as her sidekick, but he's really cute, but he's tough. The Rock would fucking voice him. Okay, so this is a very sellable product, right? Easily. Oh, it's a Western. It's a a Western. It's a space Western. The fucking character turns that just had you. Did you re- finish it? I'm, I'm up to date on it. Yes. The fucking character turns of the last two issues are incredible. Like we just thought she was just a bad mom all this time. Yeah, we didn't have any idea <laughs> what the fuck was going on. Like no. I just remember writing about it, going, "Be nice if Clara came back," and I'm just like, "Holy shit!" I'm glad she, you know, chilled out before she came back because yep. this is so much. And of course, if the original artist were doing it, I think it'd be on the best of. It might, yeah. At this point, you're right. I think Drew Moss. You're going to give uh, credit to him to getting through it, but perhaps if uh, they're going to continue it, then maybe Jay Farber should find a tired artist. I don't or know. Or they need to structure. Somebody's the- style is a little different, you know. what I mean, because you're doing talking heads <sighs> a lot of the time. That is can't a good point. With- yeah, Drew Moss's style is when he started. It was. Kind of, sort of, almost not really, but on the same side of He was aping the previous artist, too. Yeah, but he was aping, but not, you know. Well, yeah, for visual continuity's sake, not that he was aping, aping. Right, so I think that that's the thing is, because Copperhead, the impressive thing was that they found this great artist, right? When it started. And then the book was good too. <laughs> we're all like, "Holy shit! What, how you know, the fuck still, did this happen?" Yeah, and it's still a good book. It's still a good. Book. Yeah, Jay Farber's writing is. He's certainly writing fun. the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, I think that the keeping with the style was a mistake, and you're right. They need to ch- they need to change artists, and they need to correct that. They need to find somebody who's got a style for this book, right? Not make the artist follow the book's existing style. Yeah, that's quite possible. I think there could be a, I could, somebody who has their own style who could carry this material and keep us visually interested, you know. But hey, Copperhead made the honorable mentions, and it's certainly a book. I think there's, what, there's at least three trades of it out right now. So, yeah, look into it. It's very hot. All right, next one's all yours, buddy, because I don't get any of these. It's not over yet, right? You haven't forgotten? No, I think, yeah, it's got one, one or two more issues, maybe something like that. All right, so War Stories, the saga of War Stories. Do you have the, the artist's name written down? Uh, Thomas Era, Ira. Thomas Era, I, yes. A-I-R-A. Era. Um, so when the book started, it was Garth Ennis with a pretty good for Avatar artist. Yes. And that guy jumps ship and you're like, wait a second, what the, what the fuck? Like, it's War Stories. <laughs> And yeah. then, yet again, it, it proved that nothing is going to make War Stories sell. Um, nothing, nothing. Not three publishers, not one great writer. The only Garth Ennis book I don't read because it just slips through my fingers. <clears throat> so, you know, the art, the book's what? It's going to end at, what, 28 issues? I think somewhere there, yeah. The mid so, to late I mean, 20. Thomas, 
Aria has been doing this book for 20 issues, maybe more. You know, has he really been on the book? He's been that on long? this fucking book for that long, so you could see him develop as an artist on this. Okay. And, you know, he's gotten to the point where his head, you know, that I just remember at the beginning, like, to be hyperbolic, sometimes you want to say things like, I can't tell the characters from one another, you know, like, but, but no, at the beginning, I'm like, I can't, there's four guys standing around. I, I don't know who the fuck any of these guys are. Like, I have no connection with the characters. Right. Yeah. And that, that's, a, be, that's a beginning artist. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, that happens to Edis a lot. I feel well, like I feel like that happened on the fucking artists, boys you know. somehow. Like I like But this guy Tomas I I wonder like how much he's getting for Paige. You know what I mean? It can't be he, I hope the guy's not feeding his family on it, but he probably is, so keep but, Yeah, so this year there haven't been that many issues, but I think it was at the at the end of last year. And it started because War Stories at Avatar has been three issue story, three issue arcs. <clears throat> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. And before that, it's always been four issue arcs. And one of the things is, is writers need a certain amount of time. Yeah, Ennis it's, is not a done in one. Guy. No, he's not a done in one. He's not a done in two, and he's not a done in three. He needs four, and right. it's not just that he needs four. For, to get it, the story out or the pacing, it's like he needs to do four to take it seriously enough. It's a, it's a different pace. I like, mean, you see Russell Braun's artwork where, where he's got somebody of that sufficient quality to carry those those uh, uh, personal scenes he throws into mm. things now and then, you know? And Era is not, probably not competent enough for that. He's gotten he's there. No, he's gotten there. They got to the yeah. four issue arcs. Told you to read the four issue arc. Anyway, so they find and it finally throws a four issue story in there. And I start reading it, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" He got one of his scripts out of the drawer, and you know, because you know, he's like, he was keeping it there just in case, you know, right? Just in case Dynamite wanted it again, right? Like this book was at fucking Dynamite for a year at least, maybe two. Oh, more than that, yeah. Like, was remember a... when Dynamite tried to do high-profile, expensive indie books, like eclectic what? fucking creators? Ugh. He did. He did six arcs, I think, with Dynamite. <sighs> anyway, so yeah. the book's gotten to be quite competent and very effective because right. some of Ennis's war story stuff. He is he is just reaching down your throat and grabbing your heart and squeezing it a few times and then you know mo- making fun of you a little for crying you know yeah <laughs> you girly man why you cry why you yeah. <laughs> I made you cry man I made you cry <laughs> but that's Ennis I mean he just loves yeah work that is for Ennis him. right yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later but what so, is it yeah what is it three publishers over the life of this book and it's had a different <clears throat> personality from each one. It start. I still haven't read the fucking Vertigo War Stories. Right from two thousand. I haven't read it yet. Oh God! I run into I run into one of those in my back issue bin every once in a while. If I do, I'll throw them. I'll send them your way for shits and giggles. <sighs> you know, and it gets uh, at DC. He does the three. I'm trying to think. They were. They well, he did high profile artists on that though. He did. Yeah, it was it was the most expensive time for the book, and they were all like these forty eight page one shots. <sighs> 
and they were good. I think there was two trades worth or whatever, like yeah, six arcs there, yeah. six arcs there. But yeah, you know, one of these days, it would be cool just to go and read war stories from its very first issue down to your finish there. And I bet that would be quite a complete journey of war stories, to say the least. That'd be interesting to do. That would be damn good. Well, anyway, war stories made our honorable mentions list. If you yep. like war stories, don't miss it. Don't miss it. On the list. What is it? Redneck, the new image book by Donnie Donny Cates. Donnie Cates. <clears throat> Lissandro Etheran. Etheran. Very good. That's good. <clears throat> I like that. Yeah, that guy's good. But We're worldly they, tonight. Um, we are. Well, that's that's creative comics anyway. The comics are worldly. They're getting more worldly than they ever were, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the, the jury's still out on whether Donnie Cates is a great writer or not. I've seen some good stuff, and I've seen some okay stuff, but I'm happy to report Redneck is among the good stuff. And his story about the Southern, I guess, Southern vampire family uh, that's trying to survive is uh, caught our interest quite significantly. Yeah. And uh, Estherin's art just carries it quite nicely. Uh, a mix of graphic arts and scratchy, folksy-looking panels. Yes, very, very folks. It's like, yeah. Very emotive, uh, yeah. Southern Gothic. It's very Southern Gothic. Uh, yeah, which and, 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 yeah. In a way, doesn't fit the content. You know, it's no. a Western. It's a right, and but it's got Western flashbacks, and it's a modern day Western. Yet the art really suggests nasty old women in plantation houses. You know, pretty like, much. You know, it's very, very expressionistic too. You know, they have shapes and everything goes into a very graphic artist and. I'd have to say like a maybe a scratchy Eduardo Rizzo at times, perhaps. There you go. Yeah, but uh, Redneck's been a fun ride so far. He's kept us on board with his interest in the basic family member units. And uh, the latest arc, like I'm, I always go arc by arc. I never really like to go too far ahead and say I want to read this forever, but I'm definitely on it arc by arc at this point. Oh, yeah, still arc by arc, definitely. Yeah. And so Redneck's definitely good. You like you like Redneck Vampire Family Southern Stories. That would be right for you. Okay, next one. I Hate Fairyland. That's and yours, Vernon baby. doesn't read this book. I pick it up every once in a while. You know, it's not my flavor, but I have to admire it's it's what it, he does it. He gets it done. You know, Scotty Young, right? Yes, I think. Yeah. I really hope so because yeah. I'm... <laughs> Memories are not working right now, everybody. I'm, I'm going off my first ever paper list for a podcast, and I don't think I like it. I think I like checking it off on the computer a lot more. Uh, are there are notes besides, you know, just the title. No, I hate Fairyland, Gert and the Bug. It's on hiatus right now, you know. That's kind of cool to be able to say comics are on hiatus. A good comic is on hiatus, and it'll be back. You have something to look forward to. It's one of those rare ones where the creator who does everything can just pick his time to work and say, I want to do an issue of I Hate Fairyland yep. with Gertrude and come back. And it's a, it's a pretty scathing parody of about anything that he wants to make fun of, pretty much. A lot of it's fairy castles, fantasy, electronic video games, yeah, that is you. princesses. He hates all that shit. And uh, he does. Scotty Young. Scotty Young, a local guy. I think he's Midwestern Chicagoan, maybe. Not sure. Um but he really gets the job done. That's that's a that's a unique book that he can point at and say, "I did that with pride," yeah. you know. And like, it is one of those books. It is one of those books where you can't control the laughter when you when it hits you. 
Uh, yeah. I do want to point out that when he started that book, he was doing arcs. And then he got done with the first arc, and he said something about how he didn't want to do a second arc. So he just really? wanted to do one-shots. And okay. so now there is no over I mean, it's just one-shot. It's yeah. You know, when he, give, when he becomes inspired to give it to us, I think that's fine. If he does four or five a year, if he wants to do that, I'm good with that. So, yeah, uh, it's it's hilarious, you know? It, yeah, it's very good stuff. Um, Nick Fury, there's another Marvel, there's a Marvel book that snuck it on the list here. That and Power Fist, I feel almost ashamed myself to put another Iron Marvel. Fist. Yeah, him too. Uh, but the Nick Fury book was a weird little mini series, and... Uh, James Robinson wrote it, and I, I, I say writing quite loosely because there's not a lot to write. It's, it's basically a pastiche of Jim Steranko, uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. stories done in the uh, Steranko mold by artist Aiko. And it's like six issues of pure electric power of the new Nick Fury, played by Samuel Jackson, of course. And the colors and the psychedelia and the techniques and the space monsters and the shooting and the female assassins, it's all there. It's all just high-octane brainless stuff. And uh, I enjoyed that quite a bit. And that was one of the most complete comics Marvel had put out that I thought was worth uh, the layperson just picking it up. Really nice stuff. Maybe not as sophisticated as Durango, but it didn't matter, you know. <laughs> They bridged the gap between then and today, you know, with this one. So Nick Fury got my vote. And, oh, man, let's see. Here we go. Here we go. Here, here we go. Divide the dates of hysteria. No, Evolution. Yeah. Evolution. Oh, that's right. I'm on the wrong list. Sorry. Um, have you got all their names? Evolution. Let me see. I should have. Ooh. You know, who are, yeah, we, we know you have to look that one up, I'm sorry shit. to say. Oh, uh, shit. You know, did we add that one? Sorry about that, kids. No, it's been on there forever. Yeah, I wonder how I missed it. Are you looking at the list that has my marks on it? Uh, yeah, but I didn't put my creators on there, though. Well, I know, but is Evolution on that list? Oh, wow, we're bickering about our... Yes, we are, we are. Our Sorry. podcasting. Sorry, everybody. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this, is, this is why I don't, you know, look crap up online while we're talking this anymore. Is true. Uh, but you know what? That that proved to be a good piece of horror that came out in yes. 2017. We got so, two issues. At the, anyway, who's our creators on that? Yeah, so the artist is uh, Joe Infurnia, who's... Uh, Pencils and inks are better than his pencils and inks with Jordan Boyd's colors, but they're still <laughs> good. But when they're not, the color isn't there, they're much better. Is that correct, Vern? Yeah, the colors just turn it into a muddy mess. Okay. And the, the, yeah, go ahead. So uh, the writers are James Asmus, Joseph Keating. Well, it's got an E on the end. Um, yeah, yeah. Christopher Sabella and Joshua Williamson. These are image guys. Um, I've never Pretty heard of Asmus before, but um, yeah, yeah, he's been floating. Actually, I think I don't know about the third guy. I think they've all worked at like DC or Marvel a little bit too, perhaps. Yeah. Marvel, well, I think. Joshua right. Williamson's on Flash, right? Anyway, yeah, he's at DC on Flash. So it's these four. Image guys, and they're doing this story of 
rapid human evolution creating monsters and there's the way they handle it's kind of like a uh, disaster movie where there's they're doing the subplots they have four different plots going on in different parts of the world and they all are leading to the same thing except they're not leading to each other because the evolving humans are everywhere yeah there's no need for them to be together right so it's like uh it's more dramatic than a a, an anthology comic all about the same thing because there's rising tension throughout but yeah but the different characters and how they carry it yeah uh, how it affects their lives, I guess you'd say. And, yeah, having different writers on it, you know, changes how each individual scene. Now, how does it hold? How do you think it holds up as, as an issue by issue basis? Do you feel? I don't necessarily say I feel four writers, even though there's four stories. I wonder if I'm not like used to that type of storytelling from television as it bounces. I you think know? that's right. I think that they're proving a point here yeah. that this is a this is a possible way to do comics. Yeah, you can have multiple writers on it, and they can all contribute to it. It seems to be, so far, a successful experiment. The yeah. artist has done a great job, and it's truly horrifying, like man's next evolution and how it's like working its way into the mainstream and stuff like that. It's it's almost disgusting, but it's fascinating, you know? <clears throat> so, yeah, it's good. And, I mean, it's all got the same artist, so... And these came out at the end of the year, so I bet they didn't make too many 2017 lists. Remember we were talking about how some of these people were coming out with them a little early, you know? It's like, we still got a month to go to the end of the year. You're going to miss books. And Evolution was one you'd miss if you waited until the end of the year. All right. right. One of my favorites. Now, here we go, everybody. Let's sit back. Let's sit back and let the old white guy Vernon talk about how much he loves Howie Chaykin. And everybody in the shop needs to ask him. Hey, Howie Chaykin. Remember years over. ago when you were so done with Howie Chaykin? Continue, uh, Vern. I like my Howie Chaykin. You know what? I, I, we talk about what do you call that? The chemistry between two people. Well, what we can translate that to now is the two sides of Howie Chaykin's brain. And, <laughs> and when they actually make chemicals, like a lot of the times it doesn't work. But this time for me it worked. His six-issue one, uh, I'll call it a big diet, big Big politically social diatribe against modern society in America and involves a uh, terrorist group that has to be destroyed or put out of its business by a real strange group of American agents put together by this failed agent and four natural strange psychopathic killers he pulls out of jail. And uh, Chicken gets through it. It's It's disgusting. It's perverted. It's pessimistic but it's real gritty and raw and it's perfect for this era of Trump politics and everything too it's just right spot on as they say in England but anyway uh, first arc it probably sold like shit I don't know if we'll get a second arc but uh, how he got his uh, blather out and I'm sure he's happier for it so divided states of hysteria one of my favorite reads in uh, 2017 still got it Howie you, you and uh, who's our other 70 guy? Richard Corbin. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. except the, the difference is, is that Corbin will get me right there. Corbin's on his land. You know, he's in his Jake, direction. Jake, you know, I'll, I'll wait. 
bit. Anyway, Kaiju Max on our honorable mentions. Um, yep, that hit why, a rough year why, for Kaiju Max. Yes, it did. It had a rough year, and he doesn't deserve a pass. We love this book for two years. Yes, absolutely. Season one With and season two. We blathered on about this book. And then season three is just like the best well, it's way to not put it. bad. It's just not there. It, like it, the chemistry. Yeah, that is very weird. Okay, so it's a Xander Cannon drawing a book like this is never going to be bad. I'm I'm sorry. It's like Paul Pope's never going to draw a bad fucking comic. Right. Even if it's indifferent. Even or if straight. it's terrible. Yeah. Even if yeah. it's atrocious, yeah. it's not going to be bad. Right. I don't think Xander Cannon is capable of doing a bad comic. Right. Book. Like. Would, would this be a, I don't have a copy, but I wonder if the editor just like slipped the ball because I think anybody reading this who loved the first two series say, well, well wait, wait, prove to me what you're doing here that's is going to have thing. a big enough payoff to justify what that's we're doing. That's the thing. And like you could look at something like The Wire and be like, hey, guys, you better like the second season, for example, where they get away from everybody and have to bring it back. Like, right. Is it worth waiting for it? And you ha- the answer has to be yes. You have to succeed at these things. Kaiju Max does it. You know it. it... He, right. It has. You know. He, he's starting to save it at the end of the arc. It's that right. one. But we still have one more to go. So the the uh, what do you call it? the jury's out on whether season three is a success. I don't think it'll be nearly as good a success as one or two. Obviously, but he had some rough spots in three, and he's going to have to come with a big finish. For us to keep bragging about the book, I guess that's about all you can say. He does I get mean, an opportunity. No, at this point, it's just like I just want him to be done and get to season four. Yeah, if yeah, he's yeah. willing to do this drastic of a change, because season two had a significant change. It introduced a whole new character. It introduced a whole new setting. So he can clearly do that. Season three is going back to Kaiju Max, and it's just kind of like. The hey. magic is gone. All right. Well, well, well. Goat Boy is an interesting story, but he can't carry the. No, lead. Goat Boy can't carry the book. No, he even off as a textural background story. All the metaphors, yeah, are yeah. getting a little too thin. Like, yeah, spending yeah. this much time in the prison. Yeah, I, is his project turning into a work thing that he's doing rather than? A pure emotive art experience. Right. Who knows? You know, like I say, a lot of it's going to end up on that fifth or that last issue. Man, uh, don't disappoint us, uh, Mister Canyon. Love and rockets, all yours because I'm. Uh, you are still behind on that, huh? Well, the the, the what do you call that? The uh, I have to say that uh, the brothers Hernandez still are able to crank it out in an effective manner at this stage of the game because they pretty much reinvented the characters in ways through descendant characters or peripheral related ones now where they're both starting to focus in on personal areas of which they'd like to tell stories in a real narrow area, which isn't bad, but for like Beto's fascination with one of Luba's sister's kids who's into porn and very attractive and everything, and the kid is a killer. I think her name is, and uh, that's that's a wild plot. And then uh, there's a, the melancholy of Jaime's who brings together the girls again as they go to a concert back in their old hometown. 
and they're both in their 40s now, and Hopi's married to someone else and has a kid. And it's just kind of an interesting the way the, the brothers have made their own type of strips that they do now for themselves. You know what I mean? Um, God, what was the name of that one Beto top blubber? Did you see any of those? It's on my list, but I haven't. But, but that, it's not even readable. It's like five minutes, but it's all Beto Hernandez is like sex comics with aliens and whatever comes out of his head. It's, it's <laughs> disgusting and fascinating at the same time. There's not much dialogue at all. And uh, it's just like an exercise for him to get something out of his system. And that's what the Love and Rockets comics do for me now. It's like these are organic extensions of the brothers as they live and breathe and create comics the way they want to see them. And it's yeah. really sweet. They're growing old gracefully. <clears throat> Indeed. All right, you get the next one, baby. Uh, Love and Rockets. Is, uh, no, no, I couldn't do that. <laughs> it's aliens, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I can read. I can read Love and Rockets, but I can't read Aliens. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's that's not the same thing, Bird. Um, no, 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 yeah. No. Okay, so Aliens Dead Orbit by James Stoku. Um, the fr- it, it was really late. Did it even start in 2017? <laughs> you know that last issue I think was over four months late, but that's uh, James so Stoku. Stoku is amazing. Uh, Oh, fuck, what was it called? What was the first one? Orkstain. 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 It took, that book was probably on its third issue before Vern convinced me to read the fucking thing. Because I was just like, no, I'm not fucking reading that book. It's that stupid. <laughs> and no, it's not. It's fucking great. Like, And then he did the Godzilla... <laughs> He had an older one too about it was mega esque about the, the the coolest chef in the universe and how he was a space uh, space tow truck driver and I forget what the name <laughs> of something soup and it was wonton soup oh yeah yeah and yeah they got reprinted they got reprinted yeah yes or yes. republished and, even because it was colored remember that yes uh, I I can't no I think it was done black and white because but I could be wrong. But the, one time, anyway, super there was really one book like that. Anyway, James Stokoe's got a history of great independence. <laughs> behind him. So he takes on an Alien for you. Does that work at the end? Ultimately, <sighs> you can you remember the earliest issues at this point? I remember that he always has some really fun um, references to the movies. Yeah, like the original trilogy. I guess you'd say maybe even some of other stuff. And it's it's good. The style, you know, James Stokoe in space uh, means there's a lot of emptiness, and that's not what he does. No, this is not an Art Wank book, and it's there's some great Stokoe in it, like some great Stokoe moments. But if you were going into this. You would having no if you if you went into this book from aliens if if that ever happened again in the history of the fucking world yeah you go from early dark horse to that yeah no no just like some guy today is just like yeah oh, let's read a fucking aliens comic in twenty eighteen um yeah. you would have no context for Stoko or what he's I mean it's it's good it's. You yeah, it's, it, uh, it, oh, now does that mean it's good licensed product? I mean, we did put it on our honorable mentions list. What makes it an honorable mention? It's a great licensed product. Are you fucking kidding okay. me? Like, yeah. 
Yeah, they don't get much better than that. No, I mean, 100th Century War does, or whatever the fuck the Godzilla one was. Like, that was fucking crazy. Um, That was pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But no, um, Dead Orbit, yeah, it's it's good, great licensed property. Like, it's, he does shit, like, he sticks to the license, he accomplishes shit, he, you know, it's everything it needs to be, but it's not what Stoko, you know, yeah, I mean, what's it's not like uninhibited Stoko. I well, mean, I mean Stoko, it's just like the best. It's almost restrained in a way, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's, it's very restrained. Yeah. Okay, so the best. Remember all the dick stuff in Orkstein? Like, yeah, there's no dick stuff in Dead Orbit. No, he doesn't get to have dick stuff in no, it. No. Just but death stuff. And if him. if I had to say the most successful licensed comic of all time, it's that fucking RoboCop book by that that. Polish, oh yeah, that Turkish was guy, where it was like fucking graffiti art, like yeah. that fucking crazy RoboCop book adapted by The Last Stand. It was the fucking RoboCop three script adapted by Stephen Grant, but drawn by this great Corkett Orstein or something. Just like wow. fucking great art, and you're just like, what the fuck is this book? And it was like the first comic where you I'm reading it and it's an action comic in the way that <clears throat> he's so good at doing the single issue action something you know Mark Bagley never succeeded at that no. you're you're the, the you have tension panel to panel you know is RoboCop's plan going to work is he going to survive this like right right that's that's not what Dead Orbit is. That's what Dead Orbit needs to be, right? Yeah, like, right. Dead Orbit needs to sort of redefine that sort of shit, but it doesn't because that's not really Stoku's thing. Stoku needs a lot of space and not outer space. Yeah, imagine needs... uninhibited Stoku <clears throat> alien. That might work. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, so... All right, dude, here you go. Did, didn't you wrap this shit Letter up already? Letter 44. Well, I hate to say it. Um, who, is, who is our guy on this one? Charles Soule. He turned out to me to be an all right writer and then went to Marvel and turned out to be an all right writer. And he had a couple ideas but was never really able to get it going. Letter 44 was a huge epic about the end of the, all the world, the Earth and our universe. All right, hold on, everybody, hold on. When the book started, though, it was about what if George W. Bush left white Barack Obama a letter going, hey, by the way, there's fucking aliens. That's true. There's fucking aliens. The United States has been taking advantage of their technology for all the time I've been in power plus. Right, the Iraq war was just about, you know, preparing to fight aliens, like... We, we had to justify a use to hide all the cash right. issues for our alien program. Okay, you're right. It starts out as a conspiracy comic, and then it kind of transcends into an end-of-times comic. And ultimately, I'd have to say that it hits it. It probably could have done it with about 25% less issues. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'd like to recommend it, but, you know, there's a lot of other books. I, I have to give it kudos in the honorable mentions list for the longevity, the earnestness brought to the product. But, again, that doesn't always make a great experience. But since I read all, what, three million issues of it, I don't know. There were like 40, I don't know, 30-something, 30 30-something, 30 I don't know. But, the um, art was not good. 
Now, the, what, again, this is a case of a writer having an epic story, and you only got so much of a budget for an artist. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's it. You take what you can get. Like, who are you going to get to draw 35 issues for you for dirt cheap? Ain't many of them. No, sir. And you know, this guy, we've seen this guy elsewhere. Um, shit. Uh, Alberto Albuquerque. He's done some really involved work at other places. He is very capable of drawing much better than this. Anyway, a mixed bag. That's what it came out to I had to put it on honorable mention just because I read all the issues. and Well, just because I read all the issues. That is impressive, everybody. Vern, jumped, <laughs> Vern, Vern didn't jump off the Manifest Destiny cliff with me at the same time, but he jumped off of it. Yeah, about an arc later. Yeah, I mean, like, that. we really haven't gotten to talk about this very much often. Lately, it seems like in the last couple of years, just these these indie books that, that were great, their first arc, pretty good, their second arc, and then just totally lost their way. And it's like something like Manifest Destiny, something like Letter 44, it's, when they, it's when they don't become big hits. It's when they don't break out, but they still apparently sell well enough that they're going to keep publishing them. And you know you're invested in the characters, and they still tell somewhat of an engrossing story. And when you're on the board, it's it's good. You know, some of the fill-in artists had some of the best indie comics artists to offer. It was really unusual. Um, they had one of Brandon Graham's buddies on the fill-in issue. They just had the aliens on there in their weird forms, and it was the best aliens issue I'd seen of aliens interacting with one right. another. And yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Anyway, mixed bag, but we. We did get two issues of Sabrina in 2017. We were supposed to get fucking three, Vern. We were supposed to get three. Go go yell at home prize. Whose fault is it? We don't know. It's got, is it Aguirre Sarkaza's fault or is it Robert Hack's? I feel like it's Aguirre Sarkaza's fault that we don't get these books. If he's involved with the TV show, which is wildly successful, what are you going to do? Did we get a single issue of Afterlife with Archie this year? No, no, we did not. Okay, so this is frankly, because they just cast Sabrina today. Did they? They did. Now Netflix got that, right? No, did it? I don't know. It's a a Riverdale spinoff. Like, it's going to be a direct spinoff. Magic in the Riverdale universe. Somehow I thought it was going to Netflix, but I could Do you want me to look, or can we just... Nah, nah, don't worry about it. So anyway, Afterlife with Archie comes out. Everybody's like, holy fucking shit, what is this book? And they're like, "This this is not sustainable, it can't go on. Then it does. It's good every single time. Right, it outsells all other Archie comics. It's Right. And then everybody's like... There's no way that Sabrina... Then they, they do Sabrina. And everybody's like, they can't do this. And it's three times better than... Right! That. It's so much better. <laughs> it's, it's horrific. It's terrifying. It's disgusting. Yeah. It, it, it makes you feel uncomfortable sometimes. And But you always can look at it, because Robert Hack always gets the art just right. He yep. never... Robert Hack's art is kind of like a scary horror novel's cover. Right, from the 50s. From Right. Like, you know, they couldn't get away with everything. Yeah, but, he's going to pump as much as he you can. You know, like, hey, guys, let's have some male gaze on this skull-faced witch who wants to yeah. kill you. You know, like, 
Yeah. Just yeah. that feel, you know, like what what sensors are going off in the brain right there. Yeah, Hack just goes after it with gleeful nastiness, and he has such an imagination oh. for this type of stuff. And he can draw simultaneously a pretty girl like Sabrina and her friend or whatever, and Archie, was it Betty and Veronica make appearances yeah. in this thing. And yet some of the horrific things like her – you grow up with a comic book and you see the old TV show, which is probably making the runs on video channels. And her aunts are just two of the creepiest creatures in the world, oh. man. And, and all the stuff they go through with Sabrina raising her as a teenage daughter. And then when she's 16, she's supposed to be married to the devil and all that shit that happens with her boyfriend, Harvey, you know, I'm oh, like, oh my God, God. it's scary <clears throat> as shit. So run, no. don't walk and Get that get this. Sabrina. I mean, get but this book. how many trades? There can't be any trades, right? There's one trade, but they should have come out with another by now. And I'm like, just go ahead and make it a small trade, but get it out if you're not going to put any Republish it with four in each. Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, what what difference does it do make? Do a yeah, cover yeah. of the first eight. Like, get this shit out there. It's so good. Um, yeah, now then, the seven and eight, I think they were the, were they the Salem, the cat issues and the dad issues? Or yes. am I wrong? Yeah. Great both done in ones. Both great done in ones. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you don't want to invest in the trade, just get those off the shelves. You'll have to go to a better shop like mine to get them, of course. But uh, they are just worth the effort, I'm telling you. Sabrina was the hot shits. Too yeah. bad. Too bad they didn't publish more. They would have made best of the year if they'd have put out four issues. I think you and I would have I think it. if they put – no, if they put out everything they promised, I think they would have made best of the year. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's too bad. But I guess comics don't make enough money for those prissy Hollywood people. Mr. Miracle, well, you're not up on that. That's not, that's a de- you know, Here I am. I guess I'm a mainstream whore this year. I'm so desperate to find comic books. I'm, I'm finding stuff at Marvel and DC. But uh, the Mr. Miracle book has been strangely engaging. And I'd say one of the more formal uh experiments by Tom King that works within the mainstream hero format quite nicely so far. Uh, five issues in, and uh, he's set up the, the story quite nicely. And the artist, is it Rick Gerardis? I think that's his name. Uh, Mitch Gerards. Mitch Gerards or Gerards. And this guy is pretty good. Uh, he draws Kirby's new gods the way they should be drawn. You'd be amazed at how many people miss and misfire horribly trying to draw Kirby's new gods over the years. And it's all convincing all the way through. Even Tubarda's shape as a woman, which is actually more manly considering her power. She's got like broad shoulders and then small hips like an Adam Hughes chick. So it's it's an unusual thing. It has its own sexiness, but it's not like Kirby drew her back in the 70s. Um, DC needs hits. They need things like Mr. Miracle to um, show them what they can do with the talent they have and produce comic books that are worth reading. And so that makes honorable mention for me. I hope that they get more of this stuff out there, but so far so good. Anyway, another Um, honorable mention. Yeah, I didn't read it. I don't. (laughs) You know what? It's like I tell people about the staff pick signs of my shop. It means there's a certain right. Right, writing level, a certain artistic level, but hey, if the <laughs> shoes don't fit your feet. I can't no, help I just, you. I forgot to read it. Like I read the first issue last year, and I forgot. Well, you know, and I could see. Well, you know, I remember it. And you both and I came out like maybe we were somewhat lukewarm, 
because we like having a Mr. Miracle out there. No, not Mr. Miracle. I was talking about the next book. Oh, Shadows of the Grave. Oh, sorry. I thought you were keeping up with that one. No. (laughs) That's bad. I think I got a a note somewhere that says catch up on Shadows of the Grave. You know, and and that was the thing. It, 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 uh, It finished off, I think, in 2017, and I, I just couldn't, uh, I don't know, horror's not my bag, you know, and I, I, I would get like three copies in of the latest issue and they would be gone before I ever get a chance yeah. to read them sometimes. But Corbin, <laughs> God bless his hound, finished up another series from Dark Horse on How horror. old is he? 72, 74, something like that. He's too old for this, but he he's, still does he's it still anyway. He's still doing it. He's doing it more. <clears throat> yeah, the horror, the guy still has it in his body to do like, I don't Scariest. think there's any artist who is aged and to the point that Corbin has that has maintained his quality of nah, style. Yeah, because yeah, it's still very involved. He it's doesn't very, have a simple yeah. line style. One could argue John Severine, who died recently a couple of years back. Well, that is a good point. Okay, I, I basically... Just meant Howie. Well, even John Severine got simpler at the end. He did he get simpler at the end. Yeah. That Punisher, remember? That right, last Punisher, but still, yeah. you're like, I'm not going to fault him for this. No. You know what I mean? He still did a great job. He still draws the pants off of half of these assholes that draw comics today. So, No, but I mean, as opposed to Howie, who... <clears throat> Burn, have we... I've probably told this anecdote before, but... You know, back when I started buying books from Vern, uh, was when Howie Chaikin's comic career was on life support. Challenges of the unknown. Ooh, grizzly burger. So it took, but there was all this, all these rumors that American flag was going to get collected finally. And I had it on order with Vern for three and a half years. No shit. Whatever, yeah, like it yeah. never came. It, it finally came out, and by the time it did, I was like, I don't fucking care. Like, I don't give a shit. I'm throwing a closet with the rest of the crap. Right. So, um, but Howie sort of came back, but he was—he's not—he <clears throat> has not maintained his level of quality in the way that Corbin has. No, he's—he's he's more obtuse. That's for sure, and. On his latest project, he even has uh, Ken Bruzen at the old letterer with Ooh, the How American yeah. Flag series. But it's it's almost too much. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? There's too much going on. And he, I think he wants the visual buzz because that's how he perceives reality. <laughs> so anyway, just saying, uh, there you go. We were not expecting this on honorable mentions. It's an honorable mention because it's Richard Corbin. I'm sure it's good. It's really yeah, great yeah. horror comics. It's going to scare you. Like... There was that one fucking car. It might have been this one, but I don't think it was. It was one of the other ones with the car crash and the femme fatale and the fucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was uh, fucking terrifying. Like, that ruined my day. So, anyway. And I, I always loved uh, Corbin's <clears throat> penchant for weird looking women. Like, what was that one about the teacher who was trying to chase his old girlfriend who was part of the tribe who lived in this town? That's the and, one I was talking about. Yeah, yeah she was <clears throat> posing nude for the uh, art. Art uh, was the uh, figure art stuff. <sighs> Outrageous. Anyway, anyway, Mr. Corbin, we salute you for 2017. We, we, we should, we, we should totally read Shadow of the Grave. Anyway. I'm telling you. Instead, uh, we read Jimmy's Bastards. 
<laughs> yeah, you know what? I can't justify uh, picking a, a, a higher brick project on this one. Jimmy's Bastards is definitely grade B Ennis, but it's a fun ride nonetheless. I mean, um, it's a rocky ride as far as uh, Ennis's sort of, oh, shit. Cinema Purgatorio didn't even make an honorable mention this year. Anyway. Need to uh, pay the rent. Ennis is doing this year, besides his occasional war stories, a couple comedy books, basically. Jimmy's Bastards yeah. is, what if James Bond had a bunch of bastards out there and decided to all team up and kill him? Uh, Russ Braun does the art. Yep. It's He's got uh, Jimmy, v- what's his last name? What, just him and Braun, or is there somebody on colors? No, Jimmy, what's the name of the character? Oh, shit. See? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's not the point. Jimmy, anyway, Jimmy. Jimmy's bastard. Jimmy, yeah, so he's got a new partner who, you know, thinks he's full of shit because he's this male chauvinist Cold War pig, etc. Except, of course, he knows all the latest things to bitch about, like he's... Anyway. Oh, he thinks a mile ahead of everybody else, and, too. But, yeah, and so it's still this Ennis, you know, protagonist who's with it and is, you know, dealing with things ahead. Very effective scenes. I mean, lots of high-octane action and blowing great up. Great action. Some great Ennis where he's got foreground and background going on simultaneously. Some not great Ennis. But, you know, it made it long enough that at this point the investment is there like you're gonna yeah. stick with jimmy's bastards at this point yeah i'll definitely because, get the life of it yeah because the next book is one that Vern jumped off of till i said that what three was good so you came back yes i did i managed to pick you know i missed was it five that came out i have to i have to find a copy I haven't read of that. that yet. that's the new one that's the new one yeah, yeah. i mean that was uh, on our last podcast we were talking about like him, him, and guys like Jake and picking up these weird little oh, projects. Book, hold on, the book we're talking about is Dastardly and Mud, Mutley. Anna Barbera at DC. Morissette is doing the art, but yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. I mean, uh, I'm not like we talked about. We don't know a focus of the book or where it's going. It's about this renegade drone from the United States. Military service is spreading this psychedelic disease that transforms everybody into Hunter Barbera cartoon characters and situations. But, but really violent. Really violent. Very violent, yes, yeah. yes. But, you know, in a cartoon violent kind of way, too, though. That's how they get away with it. That's how they get away with having Ennis on a Hanna Barbera book. Yeah, I mean, like, you'll see a canon show go through a character, but it'll, like, it'll leave a hole, a really clean hole or something like that. But we're just, like, trying to figure this out, like... What, who is this book for? Where, what direction is it going in? How is it ending? You know, but you're like stuck along for this weird carnival ride because he invested all in these weird, curious uh, characters, Dastardly and Muttley, who are two like nondescript pilots who start turning into these things as time goes on. And the situation gets even weirder and weirder than that. And, uh, it's like a weird cartoon. Like if you were to take drugs and get drunk <laughs> and watch Hanna Barbera and it, you know, I, I guess that maybe that's what he's doing. I'm not sure, but it makes honorable mention because of the craft of the whole thing. Yeah, I think. it's um, we'll get to Hanna Barbera's successes, and probably because Vern doesn't want to listen to me 
make fun of people for an hour. We don't have like a worst of list. No, no. But there's we, a there's a range on the Hanna Barbera books. Let's just say that. Let's just say with the latest launches, it proves there is a range. That they can be great and complete Jetsony crap. Yeah, I mean, you you might even say that Pony has passed. So, uh, Dastardly and Muttley is just this weird, you know, this is not 2005. Like, Ennis didn't just relaunch Frank Castle in it. Marvel, like, why the fuck is he doing a Hanna-Barbera book? And it's not a (laughs) war comic, it's a comedy. And it's part of this new Ennis Comedies. Right, right, yeah, yeah. You know, that should be a label in and of itself, Ennis Comedy Label. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ennis always had a lot of comedy. Every thing he wrote until Punisher Max. Well, don't, what was that Monsters Unleashed miniseries he had? I didn't read that. The, oh, the, the Phantom Eagle and they get lost in a the Savage Land and it's a land Yeah, yeah, of- that one. What did you just call it? I thought it was Monsters Unleashed. I could be oh, wrong. Oh, shit. It probably was. I forget. I, I can't remember crossovers, Vern. No, I know. <clears throat> so anyway, um, yeah, he's really been developing his comedian uh, skills, his comic, comedic comic st- storytelling skills. Uh, the best so far is actually um, A Train Called Love. That's his finest comedy. But... Yeah, Dastardly and Muttley, Jimmy's Bastards, you know, they're more comedy than anything else. Right, and they're like tasteless comedy too. He like it is kind of, kind of <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm just I'm no. just saying Chronicles of Wormwood is often a comedy, but it is not right. a comedy like these are. Yeah, that well, that's almost like a stoic comedy compared to this stuff cuz it's got the cartoon characters and Jimmy's bad. You know, I hope that Garth Ennis is enjoying life to the point where he likes writing humorous stuff. That's good. Yeah, you know, that's, uh, you that'd know. be really cool. I hope Because right now yeah. he's also writing Punisher Platoon and War Stories. So there's a serious side to him there coming out. There is a serious. Well, really, except yeah. I believe. All right, we'll get to it in a bit. Uh, we'll but next up, we're going to talk about Black Crown. Or as I wanted to call it, and we fucking forgot to do this. Uh, is anybody clocking my fuckings? Because I think I've had about. 35. What did you forget? I, I think I've said fuck 36 times now. Oh, at least that many. Yes, yes. <clears throat> it's just that kind of day. Um, I had a better day, but cool. <laughs> every, other, every other word of mine is just asshole. <laughs> um, so Black Crown is uh, Shelly Bond, formerly of Vertigo's imprint Yay, at IDW. Uh, and I wanted to talk about how we've seen other imprints launch this year, or at least have previews of other imprints, yet nothing compares to this. This is, this is awesome. Is this somebody who's developed a line of comics ahead of time and, and coherently put them together despite their weird things, you know? So. That's a good idea. And like the first thing. And so I didn't even read these until Vern talked about them last time. I, we, I, I forget to read some stuff, I, I but I read this, you know. Yeah. Vern also tried to get me on Black Mask for a long time, everybody. So anyway. Well, for a while, yeah. yeah until they stopped publishing yeah. second issue. <laughs> but Black Crab <laughs> Quarterly is this oversized uh, kind of comic slash mag. It really wants to be a comic 
slash magazine, but you just read it for the comics. Like the articles are, you know, but it's about, it's about, uh, this new imprint and their previews of the new issue of the new series. There are sort of standalone, hopefully plot lines that continue in the book because everybody meets at the black crown pub is what the deal is with the imprint. The characters can all go to the Black Crown pub if they ever want to, which right. sounds weird. Yeah, yeah. Why would you all want to go there? Right, right? but it's a it's a shared universe too. It's a, it implies a shared universe in a way that we aren't used to with indie books, right? At all, and, 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 right? And that's, that's a good point because I wanted to make that point earlier, and I'll interject. I hope I don't sidetrack things too much. Um, this whole idea, like when they talk about why indie comics fail miserably against Marvel and DC is that they don't have a shared universe. They don't have this thing that builds up that people can buy into like an entire universe of characters that they can get attention to. And right now, Jeff Lemire is trying to do that with his uh, black hammer series and do these little four issue mini series is on the side. So that's a franchising, not unlike Mike McGillis, Hellboy. And now with uh, what's her name, Shelley Bond, in this uh, Black Crown thing, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. So in Kid Lobotomies, the series that's been going the longest. It's uh, <clears throat> Peter Milligan who. <clears throat> there are good days with Peter, and there are bad days with Peter. You know, he can but, be great art. He can be great. He can be Peter Milligan can be unbelievably good. Yes. <clears throat> Human target. Uh, but he's got this artist Tess Fowler, and she holds. She can hold it together when he's not really on it. Right. Like, she's got the right style for this book, um, which is about a rich kid who has a – he's a former rock star who gives himself lobotomies frequently. Yeah, and other people come and to his hotel. People. So yeah. it's, it's surreal sort of – not steampunk, but, I mean, it's very surreal – it's pretty goth too, and goth, and yeah, and he's got an incestuous <sighs> thing with his sister going on that's not demonstrated, but we're, I think it's. But they there. talk about it all the time. Is what yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah, like this is making me uncomfortable. <sighs> not seeing anything happen. So <laughs> it's just this weird, excellent idea, or you know, it's good. It's on what three or four now, and that reminds me of a kid Doctor Strange, and you know, I don't, yeah, it's that, just a, yeah, yeah. If this were a Doctor Strange book, it'd be like the best Doctor Strange. What, book what ever. Did, did, you, did, did you did you have, did you get to check out the second issue? Yeah. Okay, I think that's the one with the uh, young lady who comes in as the yeah building a creative artist, and yet it's got a whole lot of like cockroaches and stuff, like you're out of Kafka and all that. Yeah, it's just yeah. I mean, like it's not subtle. <clears throat> no. But anyway. Um, it's like a finely crafted hippie comic, I think, in some ways. That's a perfect way to put it, actually. Yeah. And anyway, they're trying to was it what's that other one they got? Assassinistas. Assassinistas with art by Beto, right? Beto Hernandez. And I yeah, I was excited about it once I saw it was Beto. And I was like, because yeah. I can handle this. I don't need to read, you know, 170 <laughs> issues of Love and Rockets and eight trades to catch up. I can just start reading go. Assassinistas. And I know it's not Beto doing porn because it's not porn. IDW. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but so I, it's about female assassins. One of them is sort of your Pam Greer, but with fro, black exploitation, 
strong black woman. There's like a ninja, but with a sword and a mask, and then the sniper. Oh, it's it's very silly, but they all right. take it seriously. But then, so you, you're going to this book expecting that, and instead it's this weird fucking comic where it's set after they retire and they right, hate it goes each back and other. Forth from the old days, yeah, to the old now. and new. Yeah. They kind of hate each other. They kind of don't like. Yeah, it yeah. opens with one of them shaking the other one down for protection money, but not really. Not but really. Like, yeah. And so, and then there's the son of the the main character ish, uh, whose name I didn't write down in my. My well, yeah, but he seems it. to he he seems to take everything about his mother's lifestyle rather like calmly. Is he's the good yes, he's, he's it, extremely yeah. calm about his mother being an international assassin, right? And this is only in one issue, and it's just like right, those, yeah. I, uh, this is pretty fucking cool. Like, what the hell are they doing? Like, I, I, and I, I have to I have to compliment Shelley for coming up with these things. You know, these are all good titles. Who's the uh, writer on Assassinistas? I think is. Teeny something. There are so many. Yeah, teeny something sounds good. Teeny. But you're right. There's a whole lot of creative people. Teeny Howard. Many names you might have heard before, you know. Oh, Test yeah. Baldwin. On the other books. On the other books, yes. But I've never heard of Teeny Howard before. No. Maybe yeah. maybe English. I don't know. They're, they're from everywhere. <clears throat> so anyway, Shelley anyway. Bond, most impressive launch of the year. Right. Yeah. Much better than uh, Karen Berger so far. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Stay positive, Vern, and that we're just, you know. Yeah, what well, so we, we encourage We're it. disillusioned <laughs> about that. Yeah, we really are. Anyway, go down, go down next time you're at the comic shop. Say, do you have any Black Crown comics? And if he doesn't, you have my permission to hit him. <clears throat> anyway, one of my current favorites, this is one you might have missed if you fell asleep in the last quarter of the year. Another image comic. Grave it, Diggers uh, Union. Grave Diggers Union, yeah, yeah. Um, fun. You know, I still the third issue came out Wednesday, and I still haven't had a chance to read it. Yeah, yeah. But the first two are real smoking. Um, it's almost like a heavy duty animated cartoon with a lot of texture of these guys who are now Grave Diggers Union, and they have to save humanity like almost on a nightly basis, and they take it all very seriously. It's all kind of looks like it's being played for laughs in some ways, but it really isn't. Every character is involved to the very end and they all have oaths for one another and everything. It's just really very serious about a, a laborers union that, it, that works out of a cemetery and all the wild uh, situations and people they get involved with the um, writer, Wes Craig, I heard recently sold his property about the kids. Some it's like a villain school for kids. I forget what the hell that was called, but anyway, he sold his property to media and artist Toby Cypress, who's been around for a little bit, but really never showed the type of complexity I see here. here. Not yeah. I mean, it, it's it's slowly becoming a, an art wank book. Yeah, and, and you know, or for quickly becoming reasons, an art wank book. Actually, he's he's showing his he's got some deft cartooning skills, and he right. combines it with a really good palette on the computer and everything, and does his own coloring and his textures think, and overlays. You know, it. I don't know if we've been really doing the podcast long enough. Yeah. For, for there to be discussion of this, but it took a while for computers, for people to artists to be able to use computers. Let's be real about it. Uh, Twenty years easy. And it took, and some established artists did not transition. Right. 
or they did and they didn't grow as artists yet the people who got digital early and you know were simultaneously well, they kept on it yeah when they were you know simultaneously learning like we're in a very good time for art yeah and it's not all it doesn't look you know like marvel house style but that is out there right but we are in a great time for art these people are they know their craft and they're taking advantage of all the, the technological possibilities. Well, the uh, and, and the amount of work that one creator can do, like they can do their own lettering. They can, look at David Rubin; he does his mm-hmm. pencils, his colors, his inks, his lettering. It's all in one package deal for the publisher. Unlike all of his work, I'm thinking or most most of it anyway. And he is truly uh, a good example, along with this Toby Cypress, of somebody who utilizes the computer on many different levels to incorporate a really impersonal style, which you'd recognize immediately despite the fact that it could be readily duplicated on anybody's computer, right? There you go. Ah, Grave Diggers Union, a good new title All to check right. out. Uh, right. some... <laughs> no, You've you got to talk, Mom. You talk something. <laughs> I, I, have th- I have drink here. Did, did I talk about this for the last You podcast? did. You mentioned what you did. did. Not a Podcast. Not on the podcast, are we sure? Let me you look. did a review for your uh, comics The 15th, fun, I did a review. So last podcast, did we talk, did I talk shit about it? Because I think I did. I, we might have, but I don't remember. At some it. point, you and I, I talked shit to you about the idea of IDW doing a fucking Barbarella comic in 2018, written by Mike Carey with an art by some guy named Kenan Yarar. Kenan Yarar. And, like, I just talk shit. <clears throat> Except it's fucking great. <laughs> yeah. Comic. There's the problem. You know, it, 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 it's the comic that Heavy Metal wishes it could publish. It's just... It, it's really good, you know? It's, you know, it's a fucking 70s French comic translated, frankly. You know, like... Right. Except it's new, and it's for American audiences. Right. You know? It's crazy. <laughs> You, you'd almost swear you were reading, like, translated French comics with this thing. It's amazing. And, yeah, so that's I, – I doubt Mike Carey. That is – because Mike Carey is not always as great as Mike Carey can be. So Well, who, who is? Well, Alan Moore. But, Alan Moore. Or Garth Ennis. But Garth who else? <laughs> and Drew get... Baker until this – until last – until last year. Until last okay. year, you could always count on Ed. Yeah. But anyway, so anyway. Barbarella, it's a, it's a, it's a great. It, it scratches a good itch, and I hope Dynamite can at least keep up a first arc with these two together. Anyway, yeah, I mean, let, <clears throat> let's not forget when it comes to weird licensed properties for your. Uh, it's not Dynamite; it's IDW. That's even weirder. Oh, IDW. Oh, yeah. good. Well, well, then I have faith. Yeah, because they'll they'll finish it off. In they'll style, finish but. it off, but you know they haven't. Betty Boop was not a success, but anyway. No, it wasn't, but there was reasons for that. They could have been held off at the gate. Anyway, Barbara Ellis, when you should be, there's one issue. It's got a million different colors, uh, covers. Covers. My personal was by old Joe Jusco. He used to do the Marvel Masterpiece trading cards. So, yeah, Barbara Ellis. Uh, surprisingly got, awesome. Yeah, surprisingly awesome is absolutely correct. I enjoyed that book. Uh, Especially we, when the chick takes off her prosthetic leg. That was weird. So now we've got a book that, yeah, if you did your best of list a month ago, it wouldn't be on there. But damn, right. it should have been. And who knew? 
who knew Vern was right to just like hype this? Because I didn't. Because Vern talked about the hit comics history of hip hop for yeah yeah ten episodes of this or whatever, and I just was like, okay, Vern, it's on my list. I'll get to it someday, Vern. It's on my list. I didn't. I didn't recognize Ed Pisker. Yes. Ed. I did not acknowledge the reality that is the guy who did X-Men Grand Design, which is fucking amazing. Isn't it fun? I never thought I would read a history of the X-Men and give a shit, but I do with Ed Pisker doing it. It's... His style is... cartoony... Uh, enough. It's kind of, kind of like warped Marvel style. It's like yeah. a guy, a left-footed monkey trying to do Marvel style. No, well, it's not like as comic strippy as Fred was, Hambach, right? Yeah. Back in the 80s. Oh, no, no. Pisker's in for the illustrational goals yeah, here. Yeah, Pisker's also... Yeah, that's the thing is, Pisker's style is... Um, detailed, not, and intense. It's detailed, it's intense, but it's... It's cartoon. Yeah, it's not house style. style. It's like this new house style. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Marvel heads pick it up and look at it and put it back on the rack. Right. What the like, fuck? what are you I talking about? Know. Like, what the hell? Why, why'd, you, why'd you make me look at this for? But it's how many? It's from the 1940s through. Right. The with first Namor's mission, battle with the human touch. Namor's battle with the human torches in this. So it's a, it's the history of the X Men. That's what this is. Yeah. And it's all the stupid shit that got added. It's all the stupid shit that Stan Lee came up with. It's all the stupid shit Chris Claremont will come up with because it's not there yet. Except for the shit that he did come up with and retcon in. It's the history of the X-Men with retcon. It's the history of the X-Men with the fucking cartoons. Yeah, with the fucking cartoon. <sighs> like it's yeah. every stupid commercial thing the X-Men has ever done embraced and entombed in this like serious bit of comics as history, but it's not real history. I mean, it's great. You think yeah. about what, who was it? Was it Kirby who talked the army comics where Kirby realized the comics were the best way to teach people things when the army realized that that was because of, Kirby, right? of Will Eisner. Will Eisner. Okay. I'm a bastard, but anyway, Will Eisner. Both and great. Both great. So, <clears throat> It's like that level of um, educational material in a way. Like yeah. I, feel, I feel like I know a lot about what has been going <laughs> on with Charles Xavier and you know. Well, I didn't even let's put situation. I I didn't know I give a shit about this stuff until I met this comic. <laughs> I, well, because it's everything. If you're a person who doesn't like the X Men, let's be a little diplomatic, Vern. Uh, there are there are those of us out there who do not have any interest in them whatsoever. And when you hear some of the storyline developments, you might just, you know, roll your eyes and chuckle. You or know? vomit. Or yeah. vomit. Or, yeah. you know, have a Chris profanity. Vomit, yeah. but you can hear that from me. <laughs> so anyway, like, you know, the idea that Vern and I could do a live reading of Chris Claremont X-Men to see how long we could go. Like, that that would be... We'd never do it. We'd never do it to you. But that would, that would, actually, that would actually probably be a terrible thing that we could do. 
Um, yeah, we, we wouldn't make ourselves so much more popular than we are now. So, but but Pisker makes it work. He takes uh, it seriously, but he doesn't. <clears throat> he takes something. His work has all this integrity that is not conditional on its the content. It's the content, even the the way he's telling this history is making X Men bullshit good. You're right. It makes it like logic. It gives logical sense to this. It gives stuff. logical sense. And just if, if you were to take it, uh, rhythm uh, uh, and tone and just yeah, if uh, I look at this book and I go, man, if you took like this like monk. And you put him in a castle, and you made him illustrate the history of Marvel X Men. This is what it would look like. It's like a a religious tomb where you look at each individual moment that he's describing and the way he does it, and it looks like a layperson's doing it. It's just very unusual, and it just sucks you in. The saddest thing about this is, is he's doing X Men. What if he did Avengers? That would work too. There's a huge cast of characters there. There's too. a huge cast of characters. There's tons of fucking retconning. It goes on forever. Marvel, I say if Ed wants to do it, pay him. <laughs> if Ed doesn't want to do it, consider this as, you know, trying to find, have Ed edit a line of these because this will get people to want to read X-Men comics who have no interest in it. A person... That's quite possible. Here's yeah. the thing. When this thing gets collected... You can hand it to anybody who's done nothing but watch X-Men movies, and they will want to read this. That's they true. Will want, they will need to read this. Right. That's what it is. It's like you just it – like, oh, it's like a magnet when you're looking at these images. And you're like, why does the image look that way? And what is these characters doing? You know, He gets it. He, and Mr. Pisker just gets it. You know, I can't wait till he gets to Deadpool. Like <laughs> – like that's the most obscene thing I've ever said. I have not read number two yet. That came out this I know, week. I know, me either. But he stops at a certain level. He doesn't go any further. Like, he stops at a certain point in the X-Men's history, I hear. Which could make sense. I mean, okay. if he stopped it, like, right about the time I opened up my shop, I couldn't argue with that. Could you? No. You know, Before the new X-Men of Grant Morrison, yeah, I suppose. Well, yeah, you're right. We did the, still, that might just confuse everything. I don't know. But if we could get away with it? <clears throat> anyway. Anyway, that made our honorable list of mentions. Just because there's only one. So right. the next yeah. one could be utter shit. It'll be yeah. beautiful, but utter shit. We don't know yet. <laughs> you're right. The only fault is it's about the X-Men. Yes. <laughs> but it does make up why we read it because there's a familiarity with the X-Men that makes us curious yeah, like, as comic not, book readers like you... I went through this once and I've yet to read the second issue twice which I will um, am I to include that Charles had not just an illegitimate child with Moyer McTaggart but also one of his earlier subjects who left it pregnant I mean there was some insinuation yep. That one of his subjects was pregnant. You mean pregnant. that beautiful page where she's not pregnant at the beginning and she is at the end? Yeah. That, that, that wonderful fucking page. Like. So Charles has a vested interest in experiments. <laughs> I mean, this is what he's inferring from this. I'm going to go and make sure I'm reading it the right way. I probably am because, you know, you have a beer while you're reading stuff like this. There's... There's a lot of X-Men retcons out there, like... 
Well, anyway, if you're an X-Men fan, you could do a lot worse than blow six bucks an issue on this. They're yeah. like, it's like 40 something pages per issue. And it's going to take you an hour to read this fucking thing. You're just going to sit there and gaze at it uh, and say, I got to read that again to make sure I read that the first time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's our honorable <clears throat> mention. So, okay. So best of the year. Best of the year. All right. Best of the year. This is, this is it, baby. We've got just a few of those because Andrew and I are quite discerning souls. So now I guess we'll do a definition of best of the year versus uh, what, what makes something best of the year versus uh, just being honorable mention. What the difference oh, damn is. Everything about them works. Damn near everything about them works. You can give them, if they're done, you can give somebody the trade. Yep, the finish has to be worked too. That's another mm-hmm. thing. The fin- otherwise, it just you can take a, a, a perfect book that's got four out of five issues, and the last one just tanks it, and you're done. I don't recommend it, yeah. Yeah. So, and it's, yeah. And if it's <clears throat> not done, it at least what is done to this point is significant stuff. And there's actually a surprise on there, so... That's yeah. later. Oh, uh, oh, yeah, a surprise? Uh-oh, sorry about that. No, not to me, but, I mean, yeah. something that is surprising that it made our list. Yeah, I mean, you, you and I are pretty open-minded, I think, you know. Yeah, more than we but think. Anyway, we, anyway. Yeah, well, well our, first, our first one on the list, and these are in no particular no. order. I think, you know, they're all just best of the years, is um, we've been mentioning uh, Jeff Lemire's Black Hammer and the, the Sherlock Frankenstein series. I mean, pure comics from beginning to end, I just, think. And, so... Where did Black Hammer finish this year? <clears throat> How long has it been since 13. it was 13? So the second arc of Black Hammer introduced Lucy Weber, who's Black Hammer's daughter, who gets to the alternate universe where they're all being captured or being um, held prisoner, but they don't know it, etc. <clears throat> so there's this really great Black Hammer storyline to start the year. And then we get and part of that storyline is what a good character Lucy is. She's a reporter. Right, we go, yeah. It's Lucy. What if what if Lois Lane? What if what would Lois Lane and Clark's kid be? Like <laughs> right, like what if Superman had a daughter who went looking for him, and you know, she's right, Lois yeah. Laning it up in, investigatively, not the other way. Anyway, Superman had a daughter at some point. Blah blah blah. Anyway, so <laughs> she's this great character, right? <clears throat> But she can't be the focus of the book. She's, you know, sort of a way for Lemire to do certain things in the book by introducing this new perspective into what's going on. Well, Sherlock Frankenstein is a four issue, unfortunately. It should be six. Yeah, you could stretch it to six. Um, it, you could. You could totally stretch this oh, fucking book Oh, without even trying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's this four issue limited series. Uh, Jeff Lemire... And David Rubin doing it. Um, David Rubin. David Rubin. It's and it's it's about Lucy investigating her father's greatest villains. Well, trying to find out more about him. Trying, yeah, but yeah. So disappearance. But yes, the way it plays out, issue to issue, is she meets a new supervillain. Yeah. And what's happened to them twenty years later? And. <clears throat> Ruben's style is very different from the normal style. Um, Dark Hammer tends to be kind of sharp in a way. And dreary. And dreary. 
Ruben manages to be exuberantly dreary. Like it's sort of this. Yeah, it's it's very active poppiness. For yes, Drew, it's, a, it's a poppy rainy day. Like it's like yeah. A, yeah. yeah. So, and Sherlock Frankenstein is great. Yes, one left bastards. The momentum and the roller coaster ride. And Lucy, the character, it's just like you're just reading, and I'm like, oh, so he basically created a comic book character that he can do forever as long as he never fucks it up. Right. Lucy is a regular member in the Black Hammer comic now. But what's really wild is that that, um, Lemire goes from an ensemble comic with about eight or ten characters to just Lucy individually meeting her father's antagonist, one per issue, in a search for information about his disappearance. And it rocks. It's like pure comics. If you put it into a hypodermic and shoot it in your your veins, it's so good. Exactly. One of our favorites for the year, man. Uh, you know what? This thing is outselling Justice League and Avengers combined together <laughs> in my store because Ferd comes out from behind the counter and beats you over the stick and tell you about it. <laughs> buy it, mothers, buy it. Don't make me tell you again. Don't make me hit with the stick again. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Next on the list for best of the year is. New Superman. New Superman. Vern's discovery. Really? No, not who, mine. But it's you who know. Who discovered I, I, this book? Why the I, fuck did you read this book? Nobody reads place? it. No, I've got like four subscribers. That's it. Nobody That's reads it. This book. Oh. That's it. Yeah, I know. I sold many of the trades, and I'm still working on that. But it's an uphill climb for Superman. But this new interpretation of Superman by favorite uh, indie writer Gene Luen Yang. And the book starts out with uh, Victor Bogdanovov on the artwork, I think his name is. And they do he does a credible job in the house style. But this book resolutely reminds me of like a really good DC 80s title or right. something like yes. that. Yes. It has story per issue, but it has overarching ideas that go from one issue to the next. A great set of superhero characters that are his friends, the Superman character. And their visible weaknesses for each character, which they all have plentifully. Especially, uh, I love the Rotun Bat Batman and his, his uh, Robin Bot. Those are the those are the best parodies out of the whole thing. But when you read New Superman, it like takes the fantasticness out of the Silver Age stories in the seventies and eighties, and it kind of translates them into this new Superman Chinese model and his Chinese Justice League group of characters. And it's just fun to read and, yep. and watch, you know? Yeah, it's, uh... I will say that it does not trade well. <laughs> it doesn't trade well, huh? Not as well as the issues. The issues are power punches, right? Yeah, and it's, okay. the momentum changes too much. It's not written for the trade. He's writing this for maybe two-issue arcs. It is, yeah. I think, two-issue arcs, but there's right. no trading. But, and then at the end, no, he's got the big cliffhanger at the end of the second trade. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's it's another one package. Vern found, everybody. La-dee-da, Vern knows things about comic. We knew Superman. <laughs> <gasps> oh, new... What about New Bizarro someday? 
You know what? It's on. Why wouldn't it be on the yeah, cards, man? It's got to be. All right. It has to be. Anyway, read New Superman. If you have any, if you have any tendencies towards that shit, it's good. Don't waste yeah. time thinking about picking it up. Just do it. Uh, What's next? Flintstones. When did? How is this still on the list? It finished. It finished early on, I think. Okay. We might get another trade. Flintstones. Flintstones. Uh, One of the best satirical pieces DC's ever done. Yep. It also has some not good issues, but. <sighs> Out of 12. That's true. That is, uh, yeah, thinking about it like that as a whole, it's 12 issues. I can't imagine that anything has ever been this successful. No, not the in 12 peaks, issues. The peaks it hits, like, no. He gets, like, if the Flintstones, the Flintstones is kind of like, if it, it, it would have been too much if it had been the success that it had the potential. For. Yeah, I don't think they could have gone much further. I mean, or, or maybe take a break, because it was kind of like an intense bunch of little ideas they explored within the Flintstones universe that relate to us. Right. And, and Pugue did a great job on the artwork for 11 of the 12. I think even the fill-in by whoever it was was all right. Yeah. Some old Marvel guy, I think. And um, Flintstones was a very good success. It finished up in 2017, and I'll keep the keep those books on my racks. All right. <clears throat> so Flintstones, the thing about – the best part about the trades is – it was never inconsistent enough that, like, you're going to fall off the trade. No. Like, oh, yeah, this one wasn't as good, like the fourth one, which you liked and I was out on. And then something like seven and nine or something. But, like, the experience is still fine. So trades are where the thing belongs. Sadly, it also should still be coming out because, you know. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, Flintstones is a wonderful read. It's a great all-ages read, too. I yeah. think that... Kids would kids. kids would, I would say twelve and up. Yeah, twelve and up. They would get it because yeah. it's not for small kids. They won't get the concepts. But, uh, but uh, anyway, there's there's a lot of best of the year here too. I mean, in all different ways. Now we move on to the damned by Colin Bunn, and give Brian Hurt. Give Brian Hurt his due. Give Brian Hurt his due, Vern. Okay, Brian. I'm sorry. You're right. You're you're aces. You really are. The Damned, where we first encountered Cullen Bunn and Brian Hurt, what, 13, 14 years ago? Oh, at least, yeah, yeah. Blown away. It was after Hard Time, so we knew who Brian Hurt was. Remember that? <clears throat> yeah. So, first book was great. Second book didn't deliver. Less so. Less so. Then they did Sixth Gun, which was great. For years they did that, and now they're back years, doing Years, yes. Now they're back doing a damned ongoing. The first arc, amazing. Yeah. Like, unspeakably good at times. Like, right, they, they really hit their crescendo right off the bat here as a collaborative duo. Yeah, just great stuff. <clears throat> it's amazing the, how much better this is even than scenes of the six guns sometimes the way it effectively hits you in the gut right off the bat and does it completely realistically and convincingly you know and it's creepy all the way through oh yeah so second arc 
as Vern so kindly pointed out to me, is apparently just a coloring of the second. Uh, yeah, the second was it two or three or four issues? I don't three know. Issues, but three issues. Three issues. My post about the first issue of the second arc is just this. Remind this is so much better than the second <laughs> second series of the Damned. Oh, it's so much better. You know, Reaper's- I remember. I remember the last time Cullen Bunn had to do a sequel series of The Damned, and he screwed it up. Not like here. Here he's great. Yeah, yeah. Hold so that. Hold, a little. <laughs> hold the buttocks. Yeah. Mm. We'll see what happens. Because I have no idea what's going to happen. Like, is he. Are they reprinting it? Are they well, going to change I'm gonna it? I'm going to read it again just to see if it holds up and see if it's better than the first time, you know. Does it fit better in this, like, does that story, Is it? does it fit better in this ongoing series, like, as a piece of that rather than an on? Uh, well, that, that's the thing. It, it, it might fit in nicely there, and uh, it'll give them a break so they can get a book out <laughs> on a monthly basis. Yeah. Uh, and I think the I don't. I couldn't imagine with the original printing run of the. I couldn't imagine been more than four or five thousand copies per issue even yeah. then. So yeah, damned. Uh, excellent. Yeah, that Wonderful. first trade's where the, the books trade. are just great. Yeah. It's not out in trade yet though, but okay. will be. And then a particular favorite of ours is popping uh, in here, man. Spy seal. And I'm not even a Tin Tan fan either, but don't tell anybody this. What's the name of the guy? Rich Tommaso. Rich Tommaso, man. The the legendary bridesmaid, but never the bride, indie artist. <laughs> He's got this uh, <clears throat> the story of a seal. A British Spy seal. seal. <laughs> a British seal who uh, gets drafted into MI6 and has uh, some missions in the Cold War-ish era. Or is it just post? There's the settings there. I can't. That's nah, World War Two ish, post World War Two. I'm thinking. Okay, so yeah, post World War Two. So he's basically in the you know a Hitchcock slash James Bond movie. Yes. It's gorgeous art. It's completely a homage to Tintin, we should say. Her- Herge, right off the bat, it looks just like a Tintin book, except all the char- characters are anthropomorphic. Right. I've never read Ver- Tintin, Vern. <laughs> I read a couple of them. <clears throat> then I was done. Anyway. So, I mean, the art is just... You gotta read. I mean, we, we just talk at length about it. You know, the, the way Tommaso does big action shots and small panels and sort of medium interior shots and big panels that, you know, give you this huge scene that maybe or may, because it's a mystery too, you know, he's trying right. to discover things. Are there visual clues you need to look for them? It's just, it's a great book. Four issues. Four issues, I, yeah. I think he's coming back next year. Cross. I hope he has success <clears throat> that the um, collection is going to be, Oversized like Tintin books are. Right. I know you've got to go get one yeah. of those. Um, uh, it, it, I like the way that the pacing of this book it's works. Image it, though, yes. which is weird. yeah, image right. Well, they do whatever the artist wants. That's true, but it's still like that's not, not a force. Gonna, they're not going to promote the book. This is the no. kind of thing that a fan of graphics paid for it, 
they could promote the shit out of this, and it's an all-ages fanographics book. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a shame. Those shop owners in the know will already be promoting it as an older kid's book and put yeah. it up front and all over the place. But seven, seven years old, you can start appreciating this. I'd say. Yeah, I think so, because it doesn't get graphic or nasty or anything funny. like that. Like, there's a lot, the humor is broad and narrow and, yeah. Oh, like I said, it's a big uh, homage to Tintin, and even though uh, there's a lot of um, visual and pacing issues with it, it holds up on its own because I think that it's more interesting with the anthropomorphic characters. Right. You know, I really do. But don't miss Spy Seal. It finished wonderfully, and for four issues, it's like super packed. You know, what is it? Um Marvel already has a reprint of X-Men designed. It's a hardcover, and they want $20 for it when you pay six, six bucks a piece for the two comics. And now Spy Seal is going to come out probably cheaper than the sum of its three ninety nine four times in a nice album. You know, and you're like, yeah. oh, my God, the contrast between these two companies couldn't be more apparent. Spicy, though, was great. I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss it for all the spies in the world. It's Yeah, so Spy Seal. Spice Uh Next is Fujitsu by Jay Nitz, who did some. Didn't he write Spawn at one point? Like he, he might have. I don't know. When, I don't know like, when Vern was like, "Hey, you got to read this Jay Nitz book a couple of years ago," I was just like, yeah. what, "What? What the hell are you talking yeah. about?" Who the hell's Jay Nitz? Yeah. Is it, hey, is it's it, Star Horse. Don't worry, you'll like it. It's like, <laughs> yeah, right. Dark Horse when they were desperate after losing the Star Wars license. Well, they were doing a lot of interesting stuff, and luckily Jay Nitz got, got some published yeah. there, yeah. So that was uh, Dream Thief, right? Yeah, Dream anyway, Thief. So Dream Thief, great book. So we're on the lookout when Jay Nitz did Fujitsu at Aftershock, which is a new company this year. They also did Jimmy ba Jimmy's Bastards. Right, right. Yeah. They've got their hooks in a couple of things, yeah. So think uh, a little... It's Mike Martz. It's the guy who used to do X-Men at Marvel for years, I believe. So, Fujitsu. Okay. Jay Nitz, the artist is... Uh, uh, Wesley St. Clair. Wesley St. Clair. It's about the world's smartest boy, a 100 and... He's easy pushing 30. 200 years old. I don't yeah. know. He's up there, yeah. He, uh, you know, he's, it's so it's Doc Savage, but with this uh, sort of kung fu. Oh, it's it's Asian really teenager manga esque. Who, yeah, who also made himself the perfect woman. We find out, and yeah, she left yeah, yeah, him. yeah. That he was laments like, about her loss in the first issue, created, and then the second issue. Yeah, we, we find, find out she's an her. android who's like, yeah, yeah, I'm out of here, like. <laughs> His villain is the world's smartest man or tallest man? One or the other. Smartest man, yeah. He looks but like a know, lumber. It, he's an evil, skinny lumberjack. Like it, it, it emits like all of these different things that are inherent in like funny comics, right? Uh, and and it, it just it's a whole a whole sense of humor with this dark, tragic overtones, but it doesn't overwhelm the humor and the pace of it at all. And he's what? Uh, it has a, like a Dennis the Menace vibe and all sorts of weird little things that Jay Nitz. Jay Nitz is like this master plotter. And he's got like all these things going around and he just fits them all on the same track. 
And it's a gigantic soap opera, but it's really tightly constructed and it has a lot of parts to it. And uh, Wesley St. Clair is just a good enough cartoonist to get all these ideas out yeah. and keep them active. You know what I mean? So we'll see how it finishes. This started and it's got like one more to go, I'm thinking. Okay. Something like that. Five or six. Yeah. yeah. But Fujitsu is definitely on the hit list. Okay. So now the, the comic I was referring to earlier is The Surprise. Batman White Knight by Sean Murphy. Another DC book. Oh, my God. Let me jump out the window. Ah. <clears throat> Sean Murphy doing a Batman epic. Like, out of continuity, Batman epic. Elseworlds epic. Elseworlds epic, which we haven't had in how long? <laughs> well, since the new 52. So. And the years, boss. <clears throat> what if, um... What if the Joker were a good guy? Yeah. Except is the Joker, or it's more, what if the Joker were cured? And is able to apply his intellect, his genius toward positive things. Right. But in doing so, he, he comes to understand, like, these realities of what's going on in Gotham. Like... That there's the Batman industrial complex where, in you know, Batman's adventures cause so much destruction, it affects how people live in Gotham. So it's sort of this, uh, <clears throat> in some, and there's all these references to Batman uh, products. How do you want paraphernalia? To, paraphernalia. Like, out of continuity paraphernalia, the animated series, the 66 show, this kind of yeah. thing, the movies, you know, it's like, it's a it's a book for Batman fans, only Batman's not exactly the villain, but he ain't the hero. He ain't the hero for sure. He The Joker might not be the hero, but Batman certainly isn't. Yeah. Because he's so indifferent. Like, the one thing the Joker's right about is Batman is totally indifferent to the harm he causes. Right, totally indifferent. And Robin, who is Dick Grayson, who is the second Robin in this incredible twist that Jason Todd was the first Robin, died, and never talked about him, to Dick Grayson, the second Robin, who's there with Barbara Gordon. And so they're realizing that Batman is just like... Fucking insane, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he's just not understanding all these things, the consequences of his actions. He's a bit again to be a bit of a, a, a fascist too. You yeah, know? he doesn't want to hear what they got to say. Fuck no, you. so it's yeah. very, <clears throat> yeah. So it's it's a lot more ambitious than I expected. Yes, it's a lot better than I expected in terms of the writing. I don't think Sean Murphy's ever written anything before. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, no, no, no. What's the name of that one? Uh, something Punk Rock Jesus. That's oh, his. Oh, that's right. You read that, yep. didn't you? That's yeah. his. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, he's and uh, he he also did some nice Tokyo Ghost with Rick Remender, believe it or not, which I like quite a bit. He wrote. But you wouldn't that? like to write Tokyo Ghost. Well, you don't yeah. read Rick. Remender. I don't read Rick Remender. He also did what was that fucking Vertigo book with? Him? Oh, that was hideous. Yeah, that, was, that was a beautiful book. Worst written piece of shit that you know. That might have been Snyder. Watch out! It was, it it was Scott Snyder. Yeah, it was Snyder. Because, <laughs> because that's that's how Scott Snyder writes. Shitty. Okay. Um, okay. So anyway, Batman White Knight. 
I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I, I love this book yeah. because um, Sean Murphy just doesn't know when to stop drawing. Again, There's we, that we too, see him. You know? Yeah. He puts details everywhere, layer upon layer upon layer of details. Oh, this urn needs to be in the background, all the fucking way over there on the warehouse wall. Um, if you want to learn how to draw, he's one of those guys to study. And it's the most bad. One of my customers, he meant, you got a staff pick sign on a Batman comic. And I said, yeah. And he goes, you've never had a staff pick on a Batman comic that I remember. And I go, well, we do now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to on to our our biggest mouthpiece this night, Mister Ennis's latest Punisher arc. Platoon, platoon. right? Platoon the man. Story, what is it? It's a, it? Yeah, the story of Frank Castle's first assignment command command in Vietnam. Yep, it does take take place in Vietnam, by the way, not yes. Afghanistan. It's, uh, yeah, it's a flashback. There's this frame with the guys who served under him being interviewed by the guy who wrote. Writing a book on Frank. Writing another book on Frank. He a second book, book, you're right, yeah. We saw the, the earlier book. arc and the earlier stuff, yeah. In Punisher Max. So, yeah, he's trying to understand Frank. And so it's this, it's a Vietnam comic. It's a war comic. And then it turns into this Punisher comic, except yeah. except it's a Punisher comic in the way that Ennis has finally found a point in the character's history because he, with the Punisher, Ennis has always had a very set of rules, right? There are things he never did with the Punisher. Once he got right. serious with the Punisher... <clears throat> He never did certain things because it wouldn't be in character for Frank, frankly. This is a this is a Punisher comic where Frank is sitting with someone, talking to them about his wife and how much yeah. he loves her. He's still young. He's still young yeah. and he's taking career advice yeah. from like a private, like he's listening, he's he's having an actual conversation. And I'm like, this has never, this has never existed before. I mean, maybe Chuck Dixon wrote a flashback, but it'd be Chuck Dixon. It'd be full of, you know, like guns and shit, right? Like, yeah, this is Ennis doing this war. Com it's like he's doing a war comic. Okay, sorry. So Punisher Max never tried to make the Punisher too realistic. There was always an element of the comic bookiness to it, right? Like, it, it, yeah, he's distanced from your average human. Right. But platoon is this as a regular person. It, like it, we're not supposed to think of this as the Marvel max universe, Vietnam war. This is the Vietnam war. It's, this is a historical fiction. Right. Right. And he's the leader of this local yeah. youth. So, but that's just the latest issue. I mean, there's the first issue where they have a firefight that it's, you know, the greatest freaking, because this is Goran Parlov doing the art. This is, this is not Ennis 
<clears throat> having a less experienced artist on his war comic. This is Ennis having somebody who knows what the fuck. Yeah, who can doing. take it to the next level. Yeah, yeah. and just oh, it's. Gordon Parloff's artwork has grown over the years too. Like I said on one of our podcasts earlier that yeah, he went from being a Pia Guerrera fill-in artist on Why Last Man back in the day, and he just has he uses so many different um, pen tips on this stuff. It's a very impressionistic comic compared to your cartoony artist that would kind of crank these out real quick, and uh, it has like every bit of realistic detail that he needs. Frank is. Um, young and he's inexperienced but you don't, the inexperience doesn't hurt him and he's learning from people like you say when he was asking his private for advice on something you know like and he says well watch out how much you love it and how much you're going to do what the man says you're supposed to do and all that right. and that was it and that, and that echoes today like when you yeah. look at the uh, current Punisher Netflix series and uh, why Frank's relationship with Mark Micro eventually um, spoiled anyway because he was listening to the man, you know, and believing in what the man said. It was pretty interesting stuff. Another good fucking Punisher art from Ennis. He doesn't write bad Punisher art. What's the last thing he did? What's the last Ennis Ennis Punisher before this? Hold on, let's see. Yeah, you look that one up. But anyway, we got one more. We got one more. Um, Do you want to? Do you want to run with it since? I can run with it a little bit. I mean, we both we both love it and like it. This is one that started this year in the last quarter, and it hasn't finished. Again, this is something that has had three issues out, but there hasn't been any let-up in the um, quality so far at all. And uh, that would be Steve Scrossi's uh, Maestros. Out of nowhere, Steve Scrossi's Maestros. Out of nowhere, because Steve Scrossi is a well-established older Marvel and, uh, who is it, Chikowski Brothers artist. And uh, he's sisters, been in comics for a long time. Whatever. Wachowski, that's it. Yep. So, Wachowski sisters. Yeah. So, yeah. And I mean, it's like he's out of nowhere. It's like, you're like, oh, you, you drew those comics that I was excited for, but they never got published. And nope. so, you know, Doc Frankenstein, you know, that sort of. But yeah. And so it's not just that the art is great because that's sort he's of. He's got expected. some cool characters in a story this time. But yeah, his writing is really good, too. Like. He's got yeah. good jokes. He he's got a good pace to it. You know, yeah, the pacing is magnificent. It really is. He he introduces characters quickly, efficiently. He has surprises. Like issue three, I was not expecting it to go the way it did. I, oh, okay, it's yeah, cute that it did, and it, it makes things work a little, little bit yeah. easier for him. But yeah, I mean, there's like all this stuff and. There's a momentum to the book that it's hard to achieve that. Yeah, and it really it's just, is. It's just chugging along at full steam at, at the end. He's of got what three. over sixty pages at yeah. this point, and I'm like, wow, he hasn't let up on the throttle. And all his characters, they're fantasy oriented. They're beautifully conceived and lovingly illustrated, even when they die horrendous deaths. Right. <clears throat> <laughs> Even the horrendous death is the gross stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So this is—it's <laughs> about the the the, the final wizard uh, who's a, a one of the, the only human boy bastard offspring of the Grand Maestros, and what happens when he takes over essentially. 
Yeah. And his mother, where's his mother at? We miss his mother already. Yeah, I know. His mother, <laughs> well, his mother was the lead of the first issue. She's this hippie who got impregnated by. But three issues of absolute <clears throat> great, great scrumptiousness. Andrew and I are waiting for more. We hope it finishes nice. But it this was. This is Image, right? Yeah, this is an Image self published Image book, right? But we had some good ones. I think this was a very good year. It but was a very I want to see twice as many this next year. So we're totally fry our brains out on what's good and what's not, you know. We'll do an honorable list of uh, best trade paperbacks real quick. You want to handle the first one? Baker Street Familiars. This came out this year? Yeah, finally a collection earlier in the year. Uh, Roger Langridge's latest at this point. I mean, except Andy that he Hirsch. He drew it. Art, he drew it, but Langridge wrote it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Andy Hirsch actually is more of a Langridge y guy than Langridge usually writes for. Yeah. So it's just this nice um, mystery about this group of kids in early 1900s, right? It's got to be. Yeah, whatever Sherlock Holmes is supposed <clears throat> to be around. Early yeah. 20th century uh, England, London, and they get drafted by Sherlock Holmes for a case, and it's supernatural, and yeah. it's exciting, and, and it's scary, and they learn how to get a. They, they learn how to like each other, even though there's, like, some racism and sexism going on. Yeah, it's just, yeah, two girls and a boy, no less. Yeah, and it's just this lovely little bit of... Language. And it's all very cartoony. Andy it's, Hurst yep. delivers this cartooniness, so you don't, get, you don't get too downtrodden. Yeah, so, yeah, that was a, that was a good one from language. It's... I mean, you and I enjoyed it at our age, and it's a great all-ages book. It is a great all-ages book. He is – it's it's very sad that he's not appreciated for his ability to do all-ages. It really is, and he's truly one of the unsung cartoonists of our yeah. generation. Yeah, yeah. God, what are we going to get in one of these days? I think I ordered – who used to do the dungeon books? Uh, Shit. Trondheim? Trondheim, I can't believe it. I'm like, oh my god, we're gonna get a Trondheim over here in America again. I'm like, I can't fucking believe it. I'm like, poop to my pants. It was Trondheim. Oh my god, I'm a little girly man at the Beatles convention. Anyway, Baker Street Familiars. You know something? Great, good, great book. Oh, we, we mentioned started, this earlier, yeah, didn't we? Yes. Yeah, that came out early uh, 2017. It's right. uh, definitely one of my favorite trade paperbacks. It should be on everybody's Is it shelf. Everything? It's all twelve. Uh, they put out a full one, all 12? All in one book, yep. <clears throat> a real sweet read, man. It really is. Now, it's a dynamite, so God knows where it's at. You can probably find it in remainder bins by now. <laughs> but it was a great one. It's like one of those great movement stories about all these people on a quest and death and sex and love and all done in a cartoony style. Like Art Dennis? Like, it's the craziest like fucking Dennis. thing. It's the craziest yes. thing. Anyway, so. It is. That's a crazy fucking topic. That's awesome. Uh, next Frank up. Frank Called Love. Uh, this is all collected too now? Not in one volume, in three separate <laughs> volumes. I knew that. The Human Skin Edition has not come out yet. Uh, Providence. Alan Moore. Maybe a swan song in comics? Supposedly he's got one more uh, Lovecraftian book for Avatar, and then he's done. Wow, I hope Avatar lasts. <laughs> they could kickstart it. They, they could, they could they, kickstart they it. Could yeah, come back. Alan Moore, they yeah, would kickstart it. They could yeah. kickstart it to come back from the dead. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Providence. Three volumes of Providence should be on everybody's shelves. I mean, well, not everybody can read Providence. So I have okay, to that's it. true. Uh, if you can't handle the more most horrific. Lovecraftian themed horror comics imaginable. Please don't apply. But not too gory. Don't forget, it's not too gory. Oh, wait a minute. They're not. Too, wait a minute. Issue six, the rape scene, and then seven or eight, the uh, fellatio scene. It still wasn't as graphic as it could have been, Vern. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like Juan Jose Reap was doing it. Anyway, it's Alan Moore. It's uh, oh, Jason, Jason, Burroughs, Jason Burroughs, who has, after 10, 12, 13 years at Avatar, yeah, reached at a level of artistry where he's got jobs at DC and Marvel where he's being totally fucking wasted. Like, yep. Yep. He's doing Moonlight at Marvel. God yep. bless him. Yep. Let him get that check. Man. Let him get the check, but he's never going to pace out a seed like he did in Providence. No, he never will touch material like Alan Moore's Providence, that's for uh, sure. Well, Providence was kind of a game changer for people. You read it, and it profoundly affects you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, just very, very layered and very textured and very deep. And at the time, it was a very scary experience. I can, yeah, I think I, it was very unsettling. It was never anything less than unsettling. Well, because all the you way didn't, through. you didn't go. You never went into the book with any hope. No, there was I never mean, any hope. No. There are sympathetic characters, sort of, but not exactly. I mean, there are, but. You know, if somebody's if, if we're all fucked, we're all fucked. Well, like, that would, yeah, right. You know, right. like Harrow <laughs> County. You know, you care about the characters. Right. You don't go into it going, oh well, they're fucked. I don't care. Everything's like, fucked. Yeah, yeah, very fuck nihilistic, yeah. right? Yeah. <clears throat> How about this one? Nihilist need not apply. Right. Yeah. Providence is very nihilistic, but is it? And at that point, yeah, but Vern, is it right? Right. Vern will talk about empowered because. I still have not read Empowered, even though oh, Bird's God, been no, telling I, you to for at least 10 years now. Oh, at least, at least. Adam Warren, probably the greatest parody of superhero comics ever. It's R-rated, not X-rated. Um, and Empowered came out with a new volume, Volume 10 from Dark Horse, and they're all recommended because Empowered is the most sympathetic, empathic character. She's like a pudgy blonde girl. Who's really powerful and she just doesn't know it, and uh, but she's got a great friend and a great lover, and she's part of the super homies, and nobody does this better than Adam Warren. <clears throat> it's all in black and white and very manga influenced as well. So make sure you try a volume of Empowered. That's what I tell you. Ten was out. Start at one. Work from there. Ooh man, Alex Sinner, good for you. What do you think about Alex Sinner being collected this year? Oh look, Vern, I forgot to write that on my list. Oh man. <laughs> Playing shit. <laughs> well, all right. We'll talk about Alex Sinner. You know anyway, Alex Sinner. Uh, if you didn't listen to us talk about it for forty-five minutes, yeah, yeah, a try, couple try episodes, a couple yeah. sentences. Yeah. <laughs> IDW, right? Yep, yep. IDW. And what are their imprints? Yeah, yeah. IDW's got their Euro Comics imprint where they're putting out big old collections of things. Alex Sinner. Was that like it was over three hundred pages? Wasn't it? Oh my it? god! It was amazing. It was huge. Yeah, <laughs> the last hundred page story. Uh, you can beat your sister with it. Uh, so it's the first of two volumes. Second volume's coming out this year. 
2018 it's coming out, hopefully. Uh, that's Modern masterpiece. Uh, yeah, like, there's no, like, what, what are you going to say is like that? Like, that's, you know, like Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, but more of it. Like, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's just, it, it's not American. It's not American. Even it, though it's set in America, you never America, confuse yeah. it for American comics, never. Never. Um, but it's about a private detective that lives in New York City. It's by Carlos Sampoio and Jose Munoz. And these were printed many, many years ago by Fanographics, who initially brought them over here translated. But uh, like uh, like we said, Andrew pointed out that IDW did the reprint, and it is a gorgeous hunk of work. And you get to follow the evolution of Munoz as an artist. because no, you don't, because they rearrange it chronologically. Well, you, That's well, the one thing you can't do. Well, you can because the not the first story, but the second story is obviously one of the earliest yeah, yeah. because he technically is almost like on the level of who's that? Well, you were reading Rip Kirby a while back, those, those syndicated cartoon strips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a technical precision that was mimicking syndicated comic strips. He was drawing his outfit perfectly and everything. And then as time goes on, it gets more loopy and expressionistic and stuff. And then you get to the final. Uh, story and it's almost surreal yeah Yeah. it goes on this surreal slant at the end but it ends beautifully and it was just one of the most magnificent cartoon stories so good so good and i mean there's so much of it that's kind of the thing is that i guess i've never marathoned let's say alan moore swamp thing or even half of it at one time okay but you, you're basically if you're not marathoning Alex Sinner, you're you're you've still got a long reading period for that book. Easily. Like the last story is hundred and twelve pages of this three hundred and ninety pages. Yeah, it's it's, it, it's its own it, thing. It, it could the be Magnum own, Opus, yeah. It could be its own collection. So you know, it's it just it's a lot at once. And there's not many comparisons to that in American comics. Yeah. Because when you sit down and you read a trade of something, that's still six to 12 issues, right? Right. I mean, I guess if you sat down and read a couple of Marvel Marvel masterworks, you get the same thing because when you don't, even though you don't get the pages with Alex center, like it's not that 300 pages, it's over however many years, but it's also over real years. Like in the last part, Reagan's election or re-election. Yeah. Right. It's this whole subtext and it's fucked up and it's disturbing and it just makes you not feel right. Like, by the time you get to that last story while you're reading the first Alex Sinner volume, you, you, you're so invested in this history that yes. there's so much going on. And it's just so much. You, you, you just can't imagine a cartoonist and a writer. What, what, what are they doing? Sitting around in a room where they're like locked how, themselves. Yeah, how is this possible? You know, like. Yeah, this is just like, how did they do this? I would love to be the fly on the wall and not watch them create these stories. I really would. Yeah, so Alex Center, get it, 
get it from your comic book shop, get it from your library because it's not it's not cheap either. It's like what? well, you can you can probably pick it up on Amazon for what thirty <clears throat> bucks, maybe I don't know something like that. I don't know. I won't look because this everybody this is a comic book retailer just telling you to go buy it on Amazon. <laughs> If you love your retailer, just say, give me a discount. He might not make 30 bucks. He might want 32 or 35 but God bless his pointed little head. And just go buy it from him, with him assholes. Anyway. I, it's been a good year. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, mean, there's been more been than enough year. to keep us busy. Yeah. I wish I had time for more comics. I, that is kind of a thing. It's like, remember Squirrel Girl? I bet Squirrel Girl's still pretty good. I bet it is. We have Ryan North is still on yeah. it, so yeah, why not? You know, yeah. well, you know, it's one of those master little masterpieces that it, it's good, but it's just not something that I would read just because I'm a 56 year old man. I don't know. You know, it's like if I if I if I actually read trades the way I wished I did. Yeah, I'd be drawn up so, on screen. You can sit on the porch and just read the trade, of a, right. a cup of iced tea or whatever. You know. Yeah. Let's see what else. We got a few more best TPs. Uh, I'm going to quickly mention the Corto Maltese trades that are still coming up from IDW. Again, more European stuff. Hugo Pratt, uh, kind of an adventure at the turn of the century, a sailor. I think these are really great if you're stoner. They're very laid back adventures <laughs> of Europe and all these different places. I mean, if you ever want to go places, but you're too lazy or stoned to go, read Hugo Maltese. He's got great adventures. Wait, is it Hugo Maltese or Corto Maltese? Corto, excuse me. I've had too much Maltese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are good. Those are good. I love those. Those are like real measured reads. Like I read like Yatsuba, the Japanese manga about the five-year-old girl, and I read Corto Maltese for the same reason, just to relax. Oh, man, we got another one. This is a weird one. Now, this is from Europe, too. French, I think. Hercules, Wrath of the Heavens. This is like um, if a heavy metal story were um, successful – most stories that heavy metal suck now. You really can't read them. And I was really mad when Grant Morrison took over as editor because they still sucked after he took over as editor. But anyway, Hercules, The Wrath of the Heavens, okay, it's published by Titan. Jean-David Moran, and the artist is a guy named Lucky, of all things. So don't ask me what that means. But they do this, like, modern technological badass Hercules, dude, and it just rocks. I don't know what the fuck's going on half time when reading this thing, but it doesn't matter because Lucky's artwork is just so gorgeous. Um, truly an Art Winks book, but it's a comic again that Heavy Metal wishes it was. So look for that Hercules trade. Hey, did you know that Jack Kirby's birth, uh, death, or birth or birth, did he die a hundred? Was he a hundred if he lived today? Be hundred, or was it? Yeah, it would be a hundred, wouldn't it? What? Is Jack his, Kirby. This is birthday. the next bunch of trades. So DC put out a shitload of Jack Kirby collections last year. Did you say it was and his birthday? And some of them were really good. His, his birth, no, he'd be... His birthday was in August. He'd be a hundred and a half. Continue. A hundred and a half. hundred okay, and so a half. hundred and a half. So anyway, there's no there's no better reason to come out with more, more Kirby stuff, right? I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, they've published Collections of the Demon, which is pretty fun. I like the Demon. That's probably the lesser of the bunch. But they also did an absolutely wonderful Mr. Miracle trade, which has probably some of the Bronze Age most finest comics in it. 
And they also did the um, outrageous uh, Jack Kirby's Fourth World Omnibus, which also has the Hunger Dogs thrown in there as well, which was his, like, 20-year delayed finale to all this bullshit. I mean, the thing, I think, is 1,200 pages. I mean, it must weigh, like, 20 pounds. You really can't bring it in the bathroom and take a shit with you because it's too goddamn big. But it's worth it. I mean, it's like these three books are just great. You could probably, if you really had to read The Demon, you you could. But I would definitely get Mr. Miracle. And I'd blow the cash for the uh, Jack Kirby Fourth World Omnibus. That thing is like, it's like the fucking Bronze Age Bible of superhero comics. I mean, Charlton Heston didn't do it that good. <laughs> so I, I would definitely go with that. And that was it, baby. We got it. We got it. We got through this list. I can't believe it. Change my diaper. <sighs> the year of 2017. 2017. Um, do we want... Uh, it's been a long time, or it's been a long episode, so we won't really do a media recap. Yeah, we'll do that when we when the shows start coming yeah. out in late January. But, I mean, if you had any, uh, any um, ideas or... Scratching sort of thing, just contact Andrew and I, call us, email us, comicsfondle.com. You know where I'm at. You can call me or text me. Other than that, I want to hear from you. <laughs> um, but uh, it was a good year for comics, despite the fact that comic sales were down significantly this year. And a lot of retailers are uh, taking it in the butt. So if I were you, if I've got a file at any of them that's got shit in it, I would go right there tomorrow and put it on my credit card if you couldn't afford it because these guys need that money more than you do. Before I break out the hanky towel, I'll say that it was a good year for comics, and I'm not going to stop reading them anyway, no matter what. But even if... if Go ahead. No, even if... Even if what? Even if what? Even if Marvel and DC didn't do their... They didn't come back overall. Oh, like, yeah, commercially. Maybe Sebelewski. He's the new Jesus figure well, at Marvel. Whatever, but I mean, you know, they lost... What I, Marvel lost Bendis to DC. No loss. Which is... Ten years ago, would have sold some comics. Now, probably right. not. No. Um. So it's it's like the big two can't do anything. It's just good books throughout the comic sphere. You know, you can't you can't rely on one publisher right now. You really can't. No, no. You have to go out there and experiment and run around and look for things and look for recommendations and stuff because. You'll find more than you have time to read, but it might necessarily be for Marvel and DC. Yeah. But at any rate, <laughs> 2018 is here. We're going to finish up these books. We'll get back to you in about a month or so. And we hope that uh, you had a good comics reading 2017, despite whatever happened in the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Vern. We got we got we got to wrap it up because we right, can't talk yeah. about it. We can't talk about it, Vern. Yep. You have a good night. We love you and contact us. Yes. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Ciao, ciao.